0: There's a, a layer of mist just covering the eggs that reacts when broken. Okay.
1: You alright? No, I'm okay. Alright. Okay, I just slipped.
2: movement.
0: Hello again, beautiful people. How are we doing? Time for an all-new edition of the Film Effect Podcast, where we give news the full-effect deep dive for the Film Effect Archive. For this episode, seeing how April 26th happens to be a very popular day in the sci-fi world, and we've yet to cover any films from this franchise, I'm Ed.
2: And I'm Corey.
0: And this is Alien, from director Ridley Scott. Alien, the crew of a commercial spacecraft encounter a deadly life form after investigating an unknown transmission. Finally, after nearly 150 episodes of the Film Effect podcast, we're finally tackling the ever-so-popular Alien franchise with an episode on the film that started it all, Ridley Scott's Alien from 1979. Here we have a collection of films that all have their fair share of fans and enemies and I couldn't be more excited to kick things off with the two of us doing what we do best, giving films the deepest of deep dives. I love the Alien films, and I'm pretty fucking thrilled to be here covering the first one today, so... Corey, how are you feeling about this overall?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love the original, the uh, 79, the one we're about to talk about, and I, I love the franchise too, it's just so varied, <laughs> you know, it's just like... Some franchises you kind of every movie is somewhat similar to the last, whereas this franchise is just a grab bag. You you got all kinds of different crazy stuff. Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, even though Ridley Scott started it and now has come back to it, uh, you know, in the middle there, you have some awesome directors as well. So it's pretty it's a pretty interesting uh, franchise, especially when you just look at like the first four. So that's what I've always uh, appreciated about it and really liked. Uh, but yeah, obviously the the original, the one that started it all, you know, for reasons we're about to get into. I mean, it, it's a classic, you know, masterpiece. I would say so. Looking forward to talking about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, before we jump into anything, I mean, you bring up a very a very valid point. I mean this this is a franchise that has a very diverse group of actor of, of directors. Does it help in each movie? Of course, Ridley Scott with the first one. And then James Cameron would take over for the second one. David Fincher would come in to uh, helm the third film. And then, of course, Resurrection was from Jean-Pierre Jeanette. And that one was just... I mean, that one... You want to talk about a deciphered film. I mean, its 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 it's a very... It's... I don't know, man. Alien Resurrection is a weird fucking movie, but for the longest <laughs> time I defended it. I mean, you and I saw that back in the day in the theaters. I remember that. And yeah, it was the first one I saw in theaters. First yeah, Alien movie. Yeah, mine too. And, uh, you know, that that film, uh, you know, it all depends on the day of the week. It depends on how I'm feeling, when I'm watching it. It's been a while since I've given it a rewatch, but... That, funny enough, Resurrection was always a film that me and Sean would would talk about together. Because him and I would always, whenever we would talk about or whenever the Alien franchise as a whole would get brought up in conversation, it would only be a matter of time before one of us would be like, "You know, Alien Resurrection's kind of underrated." And then we kind of go into it and like go back and forth defending things about the film that we liked. But I don't think two of us really sat down and watched it in, you know, a a recent time. It's it's something that we remember being underrated and and whatnot. Because I can't really tell you the last time I sat down and watched The Resurrection. It's been a while. I mean, I remember a lot of things about it. Of course, you know, the stupid shit like Ripley making the basketball from behind the fucking uh, the, the water scene uh the, the the one dude who like gets burnt so like he like lowers himself down and like just, just the angle to, to shoot that the fucking aliens the other xenomorphs it's and of course that fucking white thing that abomination of a creature at the end of the movie and of course tuco salamanca meeting his demise from said creature but yeah, the, the the movie, I don't even know why we're sitting here talking about that when we have a whole slew of alien films to discuss, but yeah, that was always the one that me and Sean would sit down and bring up of all the movies, funny enough. And then, of course, yeah. the, the topic of part three always gets brought up, and it's like, I used to think that it was universally hated, but the older I get, I don't know, I, I feel like it has its it has its fair share of Defenders. Um, me being one of them, I like three. I always have liked three. I've never been one to, to be like, you know, three is a piece of shit, or I hate part three. I mean, I'll admit, but I'll be the first to admit, in fact, that three has its fair share of flaws. But all in all, I don't think it's nearly half as bad as people think it is. I mean, I know a lot of people that hate the movie, rightfully so, hold a grudge because of what they did with the, their favorite characters, Newton and Hicks, but
2: I will never forgive David Fincher for that shit. I wasn't Fincher. That wasn't Fincher's call. I don't care who it was. I'll never forgive that goddamn movie because I love Hicks. Like, spoiler, like, he's one of my favorite characters of the whole franchise. Yeah. Uh, And the fact that they just punked him, and obviously Newt and Bishop too, but I I was so mad uh, watching that movie. I remember, yeah, just renting it and being so excited. And within the first 10 minutes, I was like, what the fuck? And I, I don't think it's a terrible movie. It's just such a drag. It's just, I don't know. It's just like you feel like you're watching like some art house movie and it's just like such a drag watching it for me. It's not bad. It, it has some good points to it. But yeah, I'll never forgive that movie for killing off one of my favorite characters in the franchise for no good reason.
0: But what is it about Hicks that you love so much about it. Like, here's a hot I just take. love
2: Michael Bean. I, I mean, I just love Michael Bean in general. And, uh, you know, I just like Hicks cause he's like no nonsense. He's just like there along for the ride. And, you know, and he just hung in there for all the crazy shit along there with Ripley. And I, I love the fact that like him and Ripley kind of like, you know, he was like showing her some stuff in the sequel and all that. I, I But I just love Michael Bean. I just love his portrayal. I love the fact that he passes out when they're, dropping uh into the um atmosphere i don't know i just always liked hicks i just thought it was kind of funny i mean i
0: i, I have no reason but to respect that but personally here's my hot tip and my reason why is because what does hicks really do you know if the, he, the entire fucking final act of the movie he spends on his ass like fucking knocked out and shit like he doesn't really add anything he's I mean, I'll be the first to admit that Michael Bane's the fucking awesome guy. I mean, yeah, of course. Uh, You know, Kyle Reese. Who don't love that guy? But I just don't... I've never really understood the universal love for the Hicks character. That's why, to me, like, it doesn't really bother me that they kill him off in between movies. Uh, Newt, I mean, that sucks. But, you know, whatever you gotta do to advance the plot... I'm sure people listening right it's now are pissed that I'm even saying this stuff. But you know what? That, like, like I said, I don't think three is, you know, the the pile of shit that everyone claims it is.
2: Yeah, it's not the fact that they died so much. It's just that to me, it's just a cop out. Like, because, you know, from what I understand, actors, like especially Michael Bain, it was like he was fine with coming back. It's not like we couldn't get the actor back. So we had to kill the character. Right. or It's not like there was another reason it was just to me like they just wanted whatever thing they just wanted to wipe them out and just did it in such a terrible way that there wasn't a good reason behind any of it so that's what i I think fox just wanted
0: to move on from the james cameron vision and with that you know sayonara to the characters you know it sucks but i think that's anyway, where they are yeah, so but anyway yeah let's yeah, let's focus let's on our the movie Talk we're about the original and <laughs> our first time viewings uh, it's it's just
1: that you see this is actually
0: uh, my my first time no no, no my fir- it's my first time uh
1: since my first time so technically that's my second time and i don't, i don't i don't want to Suck at it, so if I'm not
0: up to... Uh, right. uh, for me, Aliens was my introduction to the franchise, but that was one that I watched. I I have memories of watching that when I was very little at my first house with, uh, my uncle and cousin. Like, I just have little faint memories of them watching it and me walking in during the Queen Alien scene at the end and being like, What the hell is that? But, um, I finally got around to seeing Alien back in 92... I remember it being 92... Because it was the same year that I got into Wayne's World... Because I got both of them from one VHS at BJ's... Um... This in particular... I got this uh, Alien Trilogy box set... That... Hear me out Corey... I'm not making this shit up... They actually sold it... Or marketed it as the Alien Trilogy... Video cassette... In a box... The first one... Aliens... Since the third one wasn't technically out yet... The third one get this shit, it was a making of Alien 3, was the, the placeholder for the third film, so it wasn't really a true trilogy, I mean anyone with a brain could have told you that to begin with, because the third film wasn't out yet at this point it was just the, the, the first two movies, and then just the third tape with a behind the scenes, like 20 minute look at part 3 before it came out in theaters but that's when I saw the first film, when I got that box set, and um yeah you know it's 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 a film that I rewatched a lot when I was little
2: yeah that sounds pretty terrible yeah it sounds like a bad set <laughs>
0: yeah anyway, of course and I was you know seven years old so I thought I was getting a third movie but uh, who knew ended up seeing the third film when it premiered on HBO like a year later but How about you? When was your first time watching this?
2: Yeah, I don't have a year now down. So uh, I'm the same as you. I saw Aliens first uh, just because it was so popular when we were kids. Like they had the toys and everything. I mean, it was just, even though the movie had been out already, you know, for several years at that point, it was just really popular still, even with kids. So uh, yeah, I had seen Aliens first. So that was my first movie.
0: (laughs) The toys. Yeah. Oh, God. There's Kenner toys. They were
2: so cool. Like, I never really had any, but I knew uh, a kid that had them all. And, like, the the alien queen. That was, like, a badass figure. That thing was huge. I
0: I had the queen figure. I also had this, like, bull alien. And, um, of course, a bunch of the the figures of the actual Marines. The Drake. The Drake figure was the shit because he had this like, he had yeah, the gun that, like, you know, attaches to his hip that him and uh, Vasquez have in the movie. Yeah. His character, his, his figure came with that gun. I thought that was the coolest thing. And he had this, like, thing where, like, you you turned him and, like, he would, like, his hip would turn and, like, snap back with the gun, you know, attached to him. It was cool as shit. But, yeah, kind of put out a uh, Looking back at that, you know, of course, he had toys for the Alien movies, or mainly the second one. You had toys for T2. You had toys for the Toxic Avengers. You had toys for RoboCop. What do all these films have in common?
2: Yeah,
0: they're hard R's. <laughs> I know, <laughs> and they all they all morphed they all turned into cartoons in the, in the late '80s, early '90s, and Rambo was another one. Yeah, and then boom, all
2: morphed into kids' properties. Yeah.
0: Crazy time, but
2: um, yeah. Anyway, so I don't know the exact year, but my first watch was on network television. Um, which you know might sound bad, but honestly, Alien—it's not really a gory movie. What's there to yeah, cut? There, there's right. really not much, so you're not missing a whole lot. Other than the fact that you're adding language. Yeah, you're missing some language, and you're adding um a bunch of commercials. But honestly, I don't feel like I was hampered that much when I was watching it. It was in the middle of the day. I remember it was during the summer because my parents were outside. I think they were entertaining some friends. And I was left inside to my own devices. (laughs) Uh, And I was watching it uh, by myself, uh, eating pizza, just downstairs watching this. And I didn't start at the very beginning my first watch. I Actually, my first scene was the chest burst scene. Uh, and then I went from there. So I really only watched like the last uh, yeah, the last half of the movie um, because I remember watching it that first time and I was like, oh, that's so cool. And of course, I'm young. I didn't realize it was only half the movie. I assumed it was like at the beginning. So and I remember <laughs> talking about it with somebody at school and they're like, did you see like did you like the beginning with the space jockey and all that? I'm like, what are you talking about? And they're like, you missed half the movie, dude. So then I ended up renting it um, before Alien 3 came out. I um, I ended up renting the first and second. And then when the third one first hit VHS, I got that like right on the first release weekend because I was so excited. So mm. that was the first time I really watched the whole thing was like when Alien 3 came out. But my first feeling, I'll never forget, was on TV that summer day, watching commercials, watching the movie. The scene with Harry Dean Stanton scared the shit out of me and uh the chess burst scene as well so yeah i'll never forget that that was a fun experience for me
0: all right cool um well hell before we actually get into the thick of things uh real quick story time
1: tell me a story wait like my story no not your story a story since you can't keep your mouth shut long enough for me to read my paper tell me a story I don't think I know any stories. You don't know any stories? No. All right, I'll tell you a story. This is a newspaper, right? It's 90% bullshit, but it's entertaining. That's why I read it, because it entertains me. You won't let me read it. So you entertain me with your bullshit. Tell me a story right now. Go.
0: Since we're finally given the original Alien, our style of deep dives, it's only fitting that we talk about the main inspiration of this particular film, and that is H.R. Giger. I don't even know where to begin with this man. I guess I can start by talking about how his specific style of artistry has been the main inspiration for so many various designs in science fiction. And his work even goes beyond sci-fi. We can also talk about how his style inspired Corn frontman Jonathan Davis to have you know Geeker sculpt a microphone stand for him. That was. Like a biochemical, erotic, movable, gnarly looking stand that he had for the longest time. I, th- I think he still tours with that thing. But, you know, Giger was a visual artist who mainly worked with airbrushing, creating um, monochromatic canvases depicting surreal and nightmarish dreamscapes. A lot of his designs showcased human bodies and machines and cold like gray interconnected relationships which he described as biomechanical you can also primarily find his work in science fiction and cyberpunk. and outside of alien you can find his work in such films as poltergeist 2: the other side species species 2 of course as well as prometheus which includes the derelict spacecraft and the space jockey designs from the film that we we're about to talk about as well as the temple design from the failed dune project that scott was going to do where are you at when his art
2: yeah i mean i love it i love the style i i love that uh um, nice. whole biomechanical uh look and feel i mean you know it's always been one of my favorite uh things about the franchise is just the way the aliens look um you know i mean it's just iconic like I, you know, it's been ripped off so many times like you know you look it at the has, box of has. like contra the video game for nintendo and you're like that's a fucking xenomorph right there like you know, it's just in so much stuff. Uh, I mean, you show an alien to anybody uh, and they're going to know the movie. Oh, that's an alien. Even if they don't know what, if it's called a xenomorph, they know it's an alien. And, uh, you know, anybody who's in the know knows that's H.R. Geiger. Your name is?
1: My name is Geiger.
2: H.R. Geiger. It's just, yeah, it's so iconic. I mean, just his designs. Like, you know, I try to think of like the movie without like this pers- Particular style, like if it was just like a bland-looking alien or monster. I mean, I think it would really take away from the movie. I mean, I think it's just so striking when you see it, especially for the first time when you see it, like you know, when you are younger or something like that. It, it's just so striking; it just burns into your brain. Like that's how it was for me. Like I'll never forget it. I just, yeah, I think the man was awesome, a genius. Yeah. I, I love all his work. Yeah, I mean, I literally would just look through like. Um, not one line. I don't own any of his uh, like prints or anything like that. But I would just like literally just scroll through stuff that he did and just examine oh, yeah. things. Like it was just so interesting looking at his work. Uh, I mean, the man had like a, a twisted mind, but just awesome artistically. Uh, he was great, very unique. Oddly
0: enough, as iconic as his design for the alien itself is, when I think of Giger, the first thing that comes to mind is like the tunnels and the entryway and like the the atmosphere the area surrounding the alien itself like yeah you know looks like
2: it's alive yeah
0: exactly it looks like it's part of them like it's that style and um like it, it harpens back to the biomechanical conversation that i was mentioning and it's just it's it's crazy like his designs are like crazy hardcore i love it it's it's like i said I, I i'd be remiss if i did not bring that man up in conversation which i'm sure we're going to you know during the actual conversation of the film but i wanted to give him this dedicated section to uh just discuss so figured this would be the appropriate area to do so and now that we've got that out of the way or at least me we can move on to uh our live top five
1: rob it's your turn Okay, I'm feeling kind of basic today. Top five side ones, track ones. Janie Jones, Clash, from The Clash. Hey. Let's get it on, Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. Nirvana, smells like teen spirit off of Nevermind. Oh no, Rob, that's not obvious enough, not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of
2: No Return? Lewis, so you can uh, get up a- Shut up, <laughs> shut up.
1: White light, white heat. Velvet Underground. Okay, that would be on my list. Though not and
0: on mine. Massive attack, no protection. The song is Radiation, oh. ruling the name. So, you know, I wanted to keep it basic. We've done so many of these top fives. Uh, I just figured, you know, first alien film, why the hell not? Top five alien films. Uh, so honorable mentions are the two, the AVP movies. <laughs> A- AVP and AVP Requiem. I mean... They're not the worst movies I've ever seen, but they're sure shit sure not gonna make my top five. <laughs> That's all I gotta say about that. Although number five is Alien Resurrection, and we just talked about that briefly. Um, I, I I figured um, it, it's definitely a movie that, like I said, it's it, oddly enough gets brought up a lot, but I don't know before i even say another word about that this movie i feel like i should give it an appropriate rewatch it's been a while so i should do that so for now it's gonna linger at the bottom of my top five how about you cory
2: yeah so um you know obviously there's only so many alien films so my honorable mention the first alien versus predator even though it's pg-13 and you know it might be kind of dumb in certain places but it's not bad i don't I would say there's only one alien movie that I dislike and that's alien versus predator requiem. That movie fucking sucks. I don't know if what you've seen it in
0: that movie. Cause you can't even see you anything. Can't see
2: shit. <laughs> it's bloody, but like, you don't care about any of the characters. You don't care about anything. Like it's just bad. Like, you know, the first alien versus predator, it's not that great, but it's okay. At least it has some good scenes. It feels like I'm watching an alien and versus predator movie. the the requiem just felt like it was like a slasher b-movie sci-fi like it just it was bad all around that's probably the only movie i would classify as that i do not like i actively will not watch again and i do not like any of the other ones are fine in my book um and then alien 3 didn't make my list either um i know that movie has fans um it has some good points uh but for the reason I mentioned about killing off one of my favorite characters of the franchise for no good reason. And also, like I said, it's just kind of a drag. It's just drab. Like you're just in like this monastery monk art house flick. And it's just, I don't know. Like it's just, <laughs> it's not an enjoyable watch. Like I, I've seen it several times. I'll watch it again. It's not bad. Like, you know, if I'm watching the franchise, but it's just not enjoyable like it's not an enjoyable sit like a lot of the other movies are so that's why i didn't make it's my list
0: ripley and a bunch of like ball horny guys I,
2: I mean it sounds like a fan fiction type <laughs> thing almost when you think about it
0: kind of it, it, it's kind of like something that you'd expect ronald d Moore to have written
2: yeah so and, and then you know it also gets minus points because you know my boy charles dance gets it pretty early in the movie like i
0: Yeah, that's always surprised me. Like,
2: I thought he was gonna be like the main character, (laughs) and it's like, nah, he's gone now. You're getting Charles S. Dutton, which there's nothing wrong with Charles S. Dutton, but uh, you know,
0: I rock, fucking love Charles S. Dutton. I love him, Baltimore Baltimore, baby, but I
2: love me Charles Dance too. Like, I would have liked a little bit of both, (laughs) a little bit of ebony and ivory, you know. Like, uh, how about
0: how about uh little surprise appearance uh appearance listen to me that's not even a fucking word surprise appearance from lance hendrickson that
2: doesn't even make any goddamn sense to me that whole thing but anyway that's opening a whole nother can of worms
0: can someone explain that to me like why is his fucking ear just like hanging off at the end of that movie i don't
2: goddamn know i don't understand that <laughs> whole thing so but anyway um my number five uh same as yours alien resurrection uh, I enjoy the film. I think it's fun to watch as a fan. Like I, Ripley is so over the top. I mean, it's like Ripley mixed with Snake Pliskin is the best way I can describe that character in that movie. Like with the basketball and just the way she's like, kind of a like she's Ripley's. You're always, really
0: making me want to watch Alien Resurrection now. Yeah, like
2: Ripley's always been a badass, but now she kind of like is a confident more confident badass whereas like Ripley always felt somewhat vulnerable in the other movies this one she's like nah I'm a fucking superhero now bitch like I'm gonna do it. she's I a want. clone I know I know but it's just so ridiculous and over the top the other characters yeah. are so true stupid like uh, Brad Dorf in that fucking movie I will never forget Brad Dorf <laughs> in that movie like oh the making
0: goofy ass faces
2: like, <laughs> he's stuck to the wall he's like oh it's a baby he's like
0: snarling at the alien
2: I love you like like uh, Braddorff, yeah. I love him in that it's movie. It's kind of
0: weird, but I fucking love me some Dan Hedaya. Just shows oh, yeah, up, Dan gets the back of his head just knocked out, and his brain yeah. like, reaches in the back of it and pulls out the little brain matter before he collapses. You know, Tuco Salamanca's in that movie. solid fucking cast, Michael, yeah. Michael Wincott, it's got a hell of a cast. The dude from fucking... It's uh CSI Duteran, his yeah. life up, yeah, and uh, the fucking and Ron Perlman, Ron Perlman's in this fucking movie, dude.
2: Yeah, it's it's got a solid cast. I mean, it's, and the
0: fucking the the quirky Frenchman from Amelie is in it in the wheelchair.
2: Yeah, now if you're if you're looking for uh horror or ser- serious movie, now if you're looking for like a silly action movie then you're in like it's entertaining. And the production value is pretty good on the movie too. So that's why it makes my number five. I have no disillusions. It's not a good movie, but it's enjoyable as a fan of the franchise.
0: All right. Uh, Number four, alien covenant. Uh, I would like to say, I would like to think that this is the more underrated film of the franchise. Again, it got a lot of hate and still continues to get so much hate to this day. uh, Or I feel like it does. But no, I just had a fucking bloody good time with Alien Covenant. I just think it's a fun movie to watch. It's it's a return to form. You got Ridley Scott back. Uh, yeah, the computer imagery is eye-rolling especially when the burster scene happens for the first time and it's like just this CG mess and it's in this dark area so it's like the computer effects like really stand out so it just looks like it's like a wasted opportunity but you know i still had fun with it uh, just this alien just picking people off just like in the original one by one on this planet i like how they kind of tied in prometheus to it although i'm not a fan of the way they did my girl um knew me rapace. yeah 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 thank you her the way they did her fucking wrong in between films Cause she was actually a character that it, it was different. It's different than the, than the, the, the Newton Hicks situation. Whereas she actually like was supposed to be a part of this and you would have expected her to. And she actually like brought, she's the fucking heroin, you know, like she played a huge role in, in the movie. She's the lead. She's the survivor. It's kind of like you're just picking off your goddamn, uh, uh, your heroine like in the next slasher film you know it's it's like one of the situations like Alice from Friday the 13th or Kristen from Nightmare on Elm Street yeah get my drift but um you know all-star cast like I said return to form and you got Ridley Scott back in the director's chair and like I said I just think it's an underrated film I think it's fun as hell and uh yeah number four for me Covenant
2: yeah, mine's number four, too, Alien Covenant. Uh, yeah, it, it was back to basics. Uh, like, I think probably the most fun scene for me in that movie was the scene with the crane uh, when they're, you know, trying to lift the spaceship I were off. I you going to say
0: the flute scene.
2: Yeah. The, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the crane when they're trying to take the um, spaceship off. Like, that was a pretty good yeah, scene. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was pretty yeah, creative was. Uh, and pretty entertaining.
0: Complete fucking waste of James Franco. Oh,
2: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. They
0: make you watch a goddamn epilogue on YouTube to actually see him perform.
2: But, uh, you know, Michael Fassbender's great in the movie again. But, yeah, my main issue with the film is what you said. Well, there's two main issues. One is the way they just completely disregard Prometheus. Uh You know, I, I really enjoyed the ending of Prometheus, the cliffhanger, and just kind of where they were going to go from there. And then right. that's all kind of scrapped. And now we're just back to basics, which... You know, it's like, I'm okay with Back to Basics, I guess. But yeah, I really enjoyed Numi Rapace from Prometheus and the fact that she's just gone. And, you know, obviously Michael Fassbender is great as David. But uh, yeah, I just wasn't a fan of the way they did that whole thing. It was like flashbacks to Alien 3 again. I was just like, what the fuck is it with this franchise and just like destroying everything cool it sets up in the last movie? So, uh, but Covenant's enjoyable. It's a solid film. Uh, Yeah, there's some dumb characters. That's kind of my other second spot. Like, yeah, they make some dumb decisions later in the movie. Some of the characters like stereotypical slasher uh, victims. But other than that, it's enjoyable. I I think it's obviously one of the better films in the franchise. So, yeah, I, I liked Covenant.
0: All right, number three is a film that you've already confirmed is not going to be on your list anywhere, is Alien 3. You know, like I said, Alien 3's... I just feel like I've already talked about Alien 3 enough to explain my point and reason why I have it on my list. It's just, I can understand where you're coming from, where a lot of it's boring... I don't see it as boring i just see this development i just think the whole situation with ripley on this strange planet where she's the only female and it's all a bunch it's a prison essentially it's a prison planet something that we've really not seen and it's something original i could say and the 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 whole tunnel angle with the the the, the alien with four legs, because it's birthed from an animal. Depending on which version you're watching, it could either be a dog or a boar uh, or an ox. Sorry, um, you know. In, in that case, I prefer the producer's cut. I'm more of an ox fan. Either way, I just, I just think that the the, the design, even though it's it, you're dealing with early very early early stages of you know early 90s cg yeah it doesn't look so good it, it's <laughs> it does dodgy. not hold
2: up <laughs>
0: no it, it doesn't but i still worst effects like, of the
2: franchise by far
0: i still like and respect the designs what i'm getting at of this specific xenomorph um
2: yeah the design's cool. and yeah execution shit
0: yeah i feel like i feel like i've talked enough about alien 3 so yeah that's number three
2: Yeah, my number three is Prometheus. Uh, I was so excited when Prometheus was coming out. Uh, I don't know how many years it was between uh, that and Resurrection, but, I mean, it was a good gap, like a good decade about. So, uh, yeah, I was excited.
0: It was uh, uh, 15 years? No, 20 years. No, 15 years, what am I talking about? My math is fucked up. 15 years. Yeah, it was
2: over a good decade, so I was excited. You know, I I love the whole idea of a prequel. Um I love the cast, uh Pace uh from Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Uh I was excited to see her in the lead as, you know, not Ripley, but just, you know, another heroine, uh badass hero. In the lead and uh, strong supporting cast. Uh, other than Guy Pearce and the weird fucking old man makeup. I could have did without that. But Terrible makeup. It was bad. But you know, Guy Our Pier- boy
0: Idris is in it. Yeah,
2: Idris, like uh, Charlize Theron. Like, I mean, it's a great fucking cast. Um, Adam Green plays uh, New Mirror Pace's Fassbender. husband. Yeah, Fassbender, yeah. like I mentioned. With David, he fucking knocks it out of the park. The whole movie, he's great. Uh, but yeah, the old man makeup. I love Guy Pierce. I mean, he's he's awesome. But the makeup is just weird. I don't know. I, I, I just cast an old person. I don't know why they did that. I don't, I don't understand that decision. But whatever. I I really like the story. I like going into the space jockey history and the prequel history. I thought it was really cool. I love the scene where Nubira Pace is in the um, surgery. Uh, Bubble, like getting the uh, chestburster taken out. That made me squirm the first time I watched it. That was a pretty, I think, creative and good scene. Um, and I love the ending, the way they set up for more adventures. Obviously, it doesn't pay off. But uh, at the time, I was really excited. And, you know, Prometheus got mixed reviews. Like, some people liked it like me. Some people didn't like it. I thought it was good. I know what the hell people were bitching about. I don't know what they were expecting. I'm like, did you motherfucker see number three and four from the Alien franchise? This is <laughs> leagues above that. So, uh, yeah, I was excited. I I really enjoyed it. I thought Prometheus was a a strong return. Um, You know, obviously didn't follow through, but still really enjoyable. I think it's one of the better in the franchise.
0: All right. Uh, Number two for me is Alien. That's right. The first one, Alien, which we're about to talk about. So how about you?
2: Yeah, my number two, Alien. Uh, You know, this might be a hot take. (laughs) <laughs> you know, but uh, I feel like the first two are kind of interchangeable. But yeah, for reasons we'll get into, Alien number
0: two. Yeah, I agree. I, I feel like they're interchangeable. I feel like both films um, depends on the time of day, the mood, yada yada. This that and the third. Uh, that being said, number one's Aliens. I love it. It's this movie just amped up. You got Cameron coming in. And he's bringing an army, a whole fucking marine squad with him of cast of characters, fresh faces. You got your Bill. Paul, I mean, you've got your Bill. See, I did it again. You got your Bill Paxton. You got your Paul Risers, You've got your uh, Janet Goldsteins. You've got a lot of people coming into the fray. A lot of Michael Bain people. Uh, Lance Hendrickson. So many. Uh, the, the Queen Alien. You've got different. You got a whole different variety of xenomorphs in this one he just takes this movie and just fucking amps it up by like 50 (laughs) you know it's it's insane what he does to it compared to this one i just love how he just goes from one genre to another because it's pretty much you're going from like sci-fi horror to action horror or action sci-fi rather so it's 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 interesting I, i just love the way he's able to just do something different keeping the same idea though but just breaking out and just having fucking fun so
2: yeah I mean I have all the same reasons uh, I think you know depending on when you're born too so obviously uh, when we were born Aliens was the newest movie uh, like we mentioned before it had the toys it was just hugely popular in the early 90s uh, late 80s mm-hmm. early 90s when we were young kids so I think just being born then uh, you know, it just landed it. We we both just saw it first. And it's just an easier movie to watch. Just more, uh, you know, of a fun ride. Obviously, like you said, an action movie. And I think, like you said, it just takes everything, takes the dial, cranks it to 12. So, you know, the special effects from the first one, fantastic. This takes it to a whole other level with the sheer scope and uh, amount of things they do with the aliens. So, and then uh, same... With the action, I mean, it's just everything, the characters. I mean, you know, the fact that I can list literally almost the entire squad of Marines is a testament to that movie, just setting up characters. Like, you don't get a ton of time with a lot of them, but I'll be damned if I don't remember Vasquez and Drake and Hudson. And, you know, even though they're not the main ones, like, you know, like you have Hicks. But, uh, right. you know, it's just... Yeah, they just set up all the characters and the banter is just done so well. So, yeah, it just takes everything about the original. And obviously Ripley, she's a badass in every one of these movies. But, I mean, she just goes to a different level in the second one. So, yeah, the second one, easily my favorite. You know, I I couldn't disagree with anybody for picking Alien over Aliens.
0: Oh, but, no, 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 uh, of course not.
2: You know, but Aliens, <clears throat> for me, has always been the solid number one. It's just one i've seen the most the one i enjoy the most and that's not taking anything away from the first one but uh once you've seen the second one at least for me as such a fan of the special effects and everything it's hard to go back to the first one and think that's superior I'm, you know that's just my take on it but uh yeah it's just so awesome just one of my favorite movies and i mean probably one of the best sequels ever made uh, if not the best i mean i would say terminator 2 is better but uh you know jimmy cameron he's a master of the number two so uh, yeah, I couldn't argue with anybody if they said Aliens was a better sequel.
0: I think 2 is to the better sequel, but still, I mean, I mean, there's things, of course, we're about to get into it, but there's things about this movie that just are, are unique and to other people might seem boring and whatnot, but which we're going to get into, like I just said, I, I love the slow burn approach that Ridley Scott takes with this film and there's just a lot going for it. I, I, I gotta be honest. I really, really enjoyed this re- this recent rewatch in anticipation for this episode. Because it. it I, I gotta admit, it's been a handful of years since I watched this movie. I want to say probably, if not, right when the pandemic started. Like, um, it would have it been right, right before, around that time. I want to say about three or four years ago is when I last watched this. But, uh... Yeah, I'm not gonna lie, I had a blast watching this. And yeah, god I, I can't wait to talk about it. So that being said, let's get into it. Here we go. Heads up listeners. Got a lot of notes for this episode. So, while studying cinema at the University of Southern California, writer Dan O'Bannon had made a science fiction comedy film, Dark Star, with John Carpenter and concept artist Ron Cobb. Now, of course, famously, Dark Star, like I said. John Carpenter, famous director, hard director, Halloween, The Fog, the list goes on. First film, collaboration with Dan O'Bannon, I believe it was 74 that came out. The film featured an alien created by spray painting a beach ball and adding rubber claws. The experience left to abandon really wanting to do an alien that looked, you know, real. By the way, have you ever seen Dark Star before?
2: Uh, yeah, a while back when I was doing a deep dive on Carpenter, it, it <laughs> it's an odd film to watch because I mean it really is just like a film school film. Uh, you know, okay, when you watch- I've
0: never seen it. I noticed it's on YouTube for free, but I haven't you know taken the time to sit down and watch it it's it's outside of the ward
2: yeah it's it's a lot of padding that's
0: the only film i haven't seen of his
2: yeah it's a lot of padding i mean there's some cool special effects and some cool stuff in it but i'd say it's really just for hardcore carpenter fans i I don't think it's worth watching otherwise
0: all right Fast forward some years later when O'Bannon had written 29 pages of a script titled Memory, containing what would become the opening scenes of Alien. A crew of astronauts awakens to find that their voyage has been interrupted because they are receiving a signal from a mysterious planetoid. They investigate and their ship breaks down on the surface. He did not yet have a clear idea as to what the alien antagonist of the story would be. However, it was around this time he would accept an offer to work on an adaptation of the sci-fi novel Dune, a project that would send him to Paris to work for six months. Though the project ultimately fell through, it introduced him to several artists who gave him ideas for his science fiction story, including Chris Foss, H.R. Giger, and... Jean-Mobius Gérald. O'Bannon was impressed by Foss's covers for science fiction books while he found Giger's work disturbing. His paintings had a profound effect on me. I had never seen anything that was quite as horrible and at the same time as beautiful as his work. And so I ended up writing a script about a Giger monster. After the Dune project collapsed, O'Bannon returned to LA. To live with fellow writer Ronald Shusett, and the two revived his memory script. Shusett suggested that Ubbadin use one of his other film ideas about gremlins infiltrating a B-17 bomber during World War II, and set it on the on the spaceship as the second half of the story. The working title of the project of the project was now Starbeast. But O'Bannon disliked this and changed it to alien after noting the number of times that the word appeared in the script. Shuset and he liked the new title's simplicity and its double meaning as both a noun and an adjective. Shuset came up with the idea that one of the crew members would be implanted with an alien embryo that would burst out of him. He thought this would be an interesting plot device by which the alien could get aboard the ship. In writing this script... O'Bannon drew inspiration from many previous works of science fiction and horror. He later stated, I didn't steal alien from anybody. I stole it from everybody. The thing from another world inspired the idea of a professional of professional men being pursued by a deadly alien creature through a claustrophobic environment. Forbidden Planet gave O'Bannon the idea of a ship being warned not to land, and then the crew being killed one by one by a mysterious creature when they defy the warning. Planet of the Vampires contains a scene in which the heroes discover a giant alien skeleton which looks just like the space jockey we'll get into that later on this influenced the Nostromo crew's discovery of the alien creature in the derelict spacecraft O'Bannon has also noted that he, the influence of 1953's Junkyard a short story by Clifford D. Simek in which a crew lands on an asteroid and contains a Uh, and discovers a chamber full of eggs. Alright, so, like I said, a lot of notes. They filmed over 14 weeks from July 5th to October 21st, 1978, over in London at Shepperton Studios, while model and miniature filming was done at Bray Studios in Water Oakley, Berkshire. The production schedule was short due to the film's low budget and pressure, from 20th Century Fox to finish on time. Alright, let's get into the film. Uh, we open with the film's iconic title card reveal. Opening credits set to a space backdrop. Blended with Jerry Goldsmith's heart pounding score. And the title slowly appearing at the top of the screen. This is kind of iconic. I, I, th- this is um, taken straight from the trailer actually. the The trailer was just like this. I don't know if you remember the trailer, how it plays out, but it has the same effect with the, the the title slowly forming throughout with various scenes of the film playing throughout various points.
2: Yeah, I don't remember the trailer, but yeah, the, the whole alien text at the beginning. Yeah, that's pretty uh, memorable. I always remember that.
0: Yeah, doesn't Cameron do it again with, for aliens?
2: Yeah, I think aliens, same thing. Yep.
0: Well, I thought so, too. So,
2: all right. After the
0: title, we get a shot of the Nostromo commercial towing vehicle along with its information and text telling us that there is a crew of seven carrying 20 million tons of mineral ore that is returning to Earth. Rudy Scott's here like, fuck your exposition. Uh, Detecting a transmission from a nearby moon the ship's computer mother awakens the crew and we're introduced to our seven core characters of the story over breakfast captain dallas played by Thomas scarrett executive officer kane played by john hurt warrant officer ripley sigwinnie weaver navigator lambert played by veronica cartwright science officer ash and home and engineers parker and brett played by Yafid koto and harry dean steve Stanton.
2: <laughs> I love Harry Dean Stanton's hat. I actually have that exact hat.
0: It's <laughs> fucking awesome, yeah. dude. I love that fucking trucker hat that he's wearing. So yeah, the, the role of Ripley, uh, Ridley Scott stated that casting of Ripley it ultimately came down to two people. Sigourney Weaver. Can you guess who else?
2: No, actually, I don't know.
0: Meryl Streep.
2: Oh, yeah. I can't really lose on that situation, I guess. Yep, yep. The two <laughs>
0: actresses had met They were actually college mates at Yale. Ultimately, Weaver was offered the job because Streep was mourning the death of her partner, John Cazale, over the time of casting. Because he passed away in the late 70s, right after Deer Hunter. So, yeah, I mean, I can't really say I I can picture Meryl Streep in this role. I think this is too much of a demanding role for her. Um, That, that, that it's not to say that she's not a a physically demanding actress i'm just saying like i can't see
2: her i can imagine her in this movie i cannot imagine her in alien resurrection holy shit
0: (laughs) no because by this point, by that point, even shit, by that point of her career, like, no, she wouldn't be called dead reprising these fucking roles in no way.
2: I know. Hell no. I think, honestly, if, if she was cast, I think it would have been a one and done. I think they would have had to either recast Ripley or uh, go a different route. I don't see her coming back. Maybe for Aliens, I don't know, but I, I wouldn't see her coming back for the sequels either. Not like Sigourney Weaver did.
0: Be like, Alien Resurrection... Hold on, Fox. Let me get back to you. <laughs> I got Wes Craven over the line. He wants to offer me his latest drama. That's right. Wes Craven's doing a goddamn drama. So according to Sir John Hurt, he was considered at the beginning of the casting to play Kane, but had already committed to Zulu Dawn 1979 that was set to take place in South Africa. So John Finch got the role instead of Ash, however, two separate incidents occurred which got hurt the role. first was the fact that he was banned from South Africa because the country mistook him for John Hurd, yeah the other actor who strongly opposed
2: the apartheid
0: apartheid, yeah. Uh, Hurt points out that he was also opposed to it too, but was lucky enough not to get blacklisted. So he was unable to do the other movie. Second, Finch became seriously ill from diabetes on his first day of shooting and had to pull out. In a desperate attempt to prevent further delays to filming, Sir Ridley Scott immediately drove over to Hurt's home in England to get him on board. Scott pitched him the script over the whole weekend and Hurt arrived on set Monday morning with little to no sleep to begin filming. So we see Dallas get the call from Mother and he goes in to speak to the program alone. Per company policy they must go into the, the, the moon where the signal was set and they had to investigate so this room that he goes in it's your typical fucking sci-fi like it's like your 2001 a space odyssey-esque little setting he goes in it's all like just flickering lights it's, it's it doesn't get much more basic than this
2: yeah i really like it i love the 2001 a space odyssey aesthetic in this movie you know it's 2001 is so influential you know it
0: oh yeah you can definitely see it in this movie you see it in
2: this movie but what i like about this movie is it blends that it doesn't just have that though it blends that with more industrial stuff as well like i I like the ship because it's varied it has like the sections like you know this part with the mother um you know communication area it's very 2001 but then like later when you're down in like some of the lower parts it really is more mechanical and more like a real feeling ship. So I, I like the fact that there's kind of oh, that yeah. that uh, balance in it. It's not just all shiny white Stanley Kubrick stuff. It has that, but it has the other stuff. And it has like that 80s vibe, too, with like the old CRT TVs with the MS-DOS yeah. text going across. I mean, it might be kind of silly now to watch it, uh, you know, but it, it, it's so cool looking. I The design of the ship is definitely one of the strong suits of this movie i love the oh,
0: i i i agree tenfold i mean when i think about this movie there's just it sounds so basic on the out from the outside it's from looking in it's like it. it's like you're just on paper it's a movie about seven people on a lonely ship trying to survive a soul alien so there's so many different like settings on this ship alone like one of the best things, one of my favorite things about this movie is just the different set pieces. Like you've got the 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 leg, the landing leg room where you know Bob, Bob, poor herodine Stanton meets his demise later on. You've got the hallway, just just the way the hallways look when they're just you know moving around. It's it's just it's it got this cool. Like claustrophobic esque feeling to it, but just the, the the look and the whole futuristic aesthetic, uh, you know. Again, it's that the whole two thousand one, you know, vibe that I dig. Just the only thing, I don't know. Maybe it's just too basic. The mother room. This is the only set piece of the of the entire film where it's just. I don't know. I'm I'm not like. In all over, like I am over everything else that we see throughout the film. So that's just me, though. Who knows? So we get this short or this sort of extended sequence played out through various scenes of the crew manning their stations and working together to scan and find Earth, only to find out that they've been rerouted for a nearby moon. When Parker vocally objects to this because of the pay, Ash explains that per company policy. They're required to investigate any distress signals sent out, and that's part of the contract. No bonus money.
1: Oh, yeah, right. I just forgot something, man. Uh, Before we dock, I think we ought to discuss the bonus situation. Right. Brett and I, we think we ought to, we deserve full shares, right, Right. baby? You see, Mr. Park and I feel that the bonus situation has never been on an equitable level. Well... You get what you contracted for like everybody else. Yes, but everybody else gets more than us. Oh, mother wants to talk to you.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Yes, son. Uh, yeah, lights for my ass only.
2: Yeah, yeah, f Kodo so, is all about that money in this movie. Well so is Stan. They both are. Like they they're they the they're, they're,
0: they're, they're, they're the two like
2: They're the low guys, they're the half share. They're
0: exactly they're the guys who are like down at the the, the bottom of the totem pole who are like pushing all the weight around basically they're doing all the dirty work of this thing so of course you know they want to get paid they hear everyone else is getting you know their bonuses and whatnot and they're like what about us you know we're the ones doing all the work here and they're not lying yeah so it's it's great though we ever talked about the pods they all wake up in their little you know pods that we see throughout the series which it's, it's definitely iconic. You know, I remember, it reminds me of a funny story, about 30 years ago, after Part 3 came out, um, uh, I remember, I used to subscribe to Nintendo Power, and Super Nintendo had, um, I think, L- it was LJN released Alien 3 on Super Nintendo, and every issue in Nintendo Power, they had a contest. And the contest for this issue was the grand prize. You won one of the pods, sleeping pods, like a replica one or one. I can't remember if it was like advertised as one from the movie, like a studio, like a a screen used one, or if it was like a replica, probably a replica. But that was like one of the rare contests I actually like (laughs) tried out for. And then I, I sent in my postcard and shit like i wanted that fucking pod oh you know how badass that would have been to have that pod in your room sleeping in it
2: yeah (laughs) yeah i and then i mean the wake up scene here i didn't really talk about it because like the second one has just such a more memorable scene and to me it didn't really stick out here you just kind of see john hurt just kind of rub his sleepy head a little bit and everybody else starts to move around you know, I think the yeah, second I know, one but is definitely the, I, I
0: agree with you. The second one's definitely the more iconic of the of the scenes. But it's, you know, this is where it was introduced. This is where we, they see them for the first time. These pods. Yeah. That they're all in, you know, hyper So Anyway, um, where are we at here?
2: They ain't going to Earth. <laughs> That's what they find out. Some of you may have figured out we're not home yet. We're only halfway there.
1: What? Huh? Mother's interrupted the course of our journey. What? Yeah. She's programmed to do that. Should certain conditions arise, they have. Like what? She seems she has uh, intercepted a transmission of unknown origin. She got us up to check it out. A transmission? Out here? Yeah. What kind of a transmission? Acoustical beacon. It uh, repeats at intervals of twelve seconds. S.O.S. I don't know. Human. Unknown. So what? <laughs> we are obligated on the. Well, I hate to, to bring you. this up, but uh, this is a commercial ship, not a rescue ship. Right. And it's not my contract to do this kind of duty. And what about the money? If you want to give me some money to do, I'd be happy to. Uh, you know, just watch. Let's go over the bonus situation. We another. Let's talk about question? the bonus oh, situation. Sorry, can I say something? Let's talk about the bonus situation. There is a clause in the contract which specifically states any systematized transmission indicating a possible intelligent origin must be investigated. I don't want to We don't know that's intelligent. I want to go home and party. Parker, will you just listen to the man? On penalty of total forfeiture of shares. money. You got that? <laughs> well, yeah. All right, we're going in. Yeah. We're going in.
0: Yeah, it's true. So they uh, disengage towards the moon for landfall. During their descent, the ship sustains damage from the turbulent atmosphere and the rocky landscape. So we get lots of shots of characters in distress along with the shaky camera shooting them. Oldest trick in the book of cinematography. So the spaceships and planets for the film were, were shot using models and miniatures. These included models of the, of the Nostromo, its attached mineral refinery, the escape shuttle Narcissus, and the planet, and the alien planetary. Yeah,
2: and, and let me just say, it looks fantastic even today. Absolutely. on HD, it holds up. Honestly, it looks better than a lot of fucking CGI they still put out today. I mean, I'm watching this thing on you know like the high. I don't have a uh, 4K TV, but. You know, like, the highest high-def setting on my TV, and I'm just watching this, and I'm like, good God, the miniatures look awesome in this. I mean, like, Star Wars-level quality. Like, everything looks great. Like, the effects in this movie hold up. There's no effect in this movie, in particular, that I watched today, and I'm just like, oh, that does not look good. Other than possibly... No, the
0: way they shot it, it's just, there's it's impossible to even
2: like it just looks real you,
0: like it, you can't even tell there's it's it's fake you, even if you tried to look you couldn't because they did such a great job of shooting this stuff yeah. like they had like rooms specific rooms blacked out with just tarps and stuff and and it made it was made with if little stars and started to make it look like it was just being in space and that's what they shot like some of this stuff in like you know frame for frame it just looks it's, great it, it looks incredible it looks so stunning. I watched this. I have the, the film in 4K, and that's how I watched it. Um, the effects in this film, there's no computer effects to tighten up certain shots. You don't have any of that. This is old school, by the book, practical fucking magic. Yeah, so. It's all in camera. Exactly. All the behind the scenes work over in London. They're very careful so that they can make their dailies and everything. They had three models of the, the Stromo. They have a, th- a 12 inch one, a four foot one, 12 foot one for different things, for different kinds of shots and whatnot. Uh, let's see what else here. Like I said, a lot of notes, but I don't want to make this an episode of just me reading through notes. Uh, and of course, like they use, they, they shot stuff against matte paintings.
2: Yeah, it's all old school tricks. Yep.
0: Exactly. So, anyway oh so many fucking things about this movie I'm surprised there's not multiple books just on the making of this movie so Brett and Parker they alert the rest of the crew of the amount of damage that the ship has sustained while landing they confirm that three to four cells are gone and a couple of ducks need to be rerouted but can't be done unless they dry duck then there's also some fragments that were kicked up that need to be cleaned out and repressurized (laughs) Ugh. I actually had to stop and like put on subtitles. And be like, what the fuck does this stuff mean? It doesn't make any goddamn sense. It's just I don't know any of it means. Yeah. Sounds extreme, exactly. But th- I love this part here. It's like Brett says. i so like, how long is it gonna take?" And Brett's like, "Tom's 17," <laughs> and fucking Parker's like, "25 hours of downtime." <laughs> he just adds <laughs> fucking eight hours to it. It's awesome. I also love how at the tail end of the scene, Ripley's like. I'm going to come down there and help you guys get started. Brett and Parker are both like, what the hell does she think she's going to do? She better stay the fuck out of my way. That's what yeah, she's going to do.
2: I love uh, <laughs> Yefakoto and Harry Stanton. Like, they're they're definitely, other than Ripley, my favorite characters in the movie. They're the working they're class. They're
0: like the bestest of friends. Yeah. I love it.
2: I love the bickering between them and the jokes. Yeah, I love the fact that they're like the blue collar guys. And they're like, oh, phew, these officers are like Ripley. The officer going to come down and help us. Like, come on you know yeah i love it
0: they're just both rolling their eyes like the fuck is she gonna do
2: yeah so i love them both yeah they're they're great like they definitely you know because like you said it's a slow burn the first half of the movie and they definitely lighten it up quite a bit in a lot of these scenes
0: oh they they do so many different things to make this first half so interesting because even though it's like just building up eventually turns into the second half of this movie and becomes the film's primary conflict. It, it's just... There's enough going on in rotation to just keep you engaged for the hour it's not just boredom it's not just various scenes of people just sitting around talking about what they're gonna do like you actually get down and see things and there's different things that happen like little things like the landing gear and stuff like that that just keeps you occupied so you're not just fucking bored and you're not just sitting there taking in just random scenes of dialogue for the first 60 minutes none of that So yeah, the rest of the crew figure out what elements they're dealing with while on the outside, while Kane volunteers to go out there with the team first, which consists of him, Lambert, and Dallas. Meanwhile, we get more bickering from Bretton Parker to Ripley about pay, and she assures them both that by law, they're guaranteed a cut of whatever they find while stationed on the planet. Can't say I blame them. They're probably underpaid for the work that they qualify to do. It's probably a futuristic conflict that the movie doesn't touch on. Instead, they turn to being pirates for the future in an effort to make some extra coin. I dig it. The spacesuits worn by Tom Scare, John Hurt, and Veronica Cartwright were, were huge, bulky items lined with Nylon and with no outlets for breath or condensation, as the actors and actresses were working under the hot studio lights and conditions in excess of 100 degrees Fahrenheit, they spent most of their time passing out. A nurse had to be on hand at all times to keep supplying them with oxygen. It was only after Ridley Scott's and cinematographer Derek Vinland's, Vanland's children. Yeah, so get this, for another trick that they used for the camera... To make things look bigger. They pull the camera back against these models. To give off the illusion that it's bigger. And that the characters are small. And the camera is you know far back. When in reality it's not so far back. It's just a little person.
2: Yeah horse perspective. Yeah exactly. The, the, the
0: kids And the kids. Were fucking passing out in these suits dude. His own kids. And it's about here. When three members. They find this derelict alien ship. ...lose contact with the rest of the crew as they enter... ...and they find the pilot... ...or more commonly known to fans as the Space Jockey. So the pilot almost didn't make it into the film at all. As production costs continued to mount... ...Fox pressured Scott to scrape the large pilot set altogether... ...complaining that it would be very expensive to build... ...and yet would only feature it was only going to be featured in one brief scene. However, Scott insisted it was an important part of the film necessary to elevate the picture above lowly beam movie status and the studio eventually
2: relented yeah
0: brother in the last 24 hours i'm not kidding you i have read through so many fucking notes on this movie that's why i'm saying like it's hard to like decipher which notes i want to actually like bring up on this issue on this episode because there's so many like it's crazy to think that this basic movie you know it's just a simple movie about seven people on a spaceship getting picked off by this alien and it's something so basic yet there's so much going on behind the scenes it's crazy it's 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 a lot so
2: yeah i think this movie would definitely be missing something without this space jockey scene it's cuz you're you're going on such a slow burn in the beginning of this film and the characters are interesting i mean obviously it's an all star cast characters are interesting but that only takes you so far uh and yeah i completely agree these sets take this movie to a whole different level especially with the space jockey i mean it's one i'll never forget i mean it's just so iconic and it just adds something to this movie just adds such a mystique and such a sense of world in this film it's just it's just all inspiring (laughs) just watching it even today high def everything still looks great even with the matte paintings and sets Mm -hmm. everything looks awesome so uh yeah i i definitely agree with uh scott like if this wasn't in here this i'm not saying the movie would be any worse or anything like that but i definitely don't think it would be nearly as iconic as it is but you know this stuff is just awesome so yeah i'm glad that he fought and got it in there because it is important in my book
0: and then we get the egg chamber scene which was actually it was filmed on the same set as the uh space jockey sequence the entire disc piece supported the jockey and its chair was removed and the set was redressed to create the egg chamber. Light effects in the egg chamber were created by lasers borrowed from English rock band The Who. The
1: band, the
0: band was testing the lasers for use in their stage show on the soundstage next door. Really Scott's like, hey guys, mind if I get those for my upcoming science fiction horror movie? Let me
2: borrow those fog machines too. Yeah, exactly.
0: So then we see Ripley deciphering part of the transmission that brought them all there, eventually determining that it was a warning. Unfortunately, she can't relay the information to others who are currently on the uh, crashed
2: ship. Nah, she was gonna go, but Ash is like, you know, what are you gonna do by the time you get there? It's too late.
0: You know? Right, exactly. Not shit she can do. Yeah, Ash is playing dumb. Let's just put it that way. So meanwhile, Kane discovers the chamber with all the large egg-like objects when he touches one an alien creature suddenly springs out penetrates his helmet and attaches itself to his face and this scene is up there with other iconic genre scenes that was shot in post-production a fiberglass egg was used in place so that actor John Heard could shine his light on it and see movement inside, which was provided by Scott fluttering his hands inside the egg while wearing rubber gloves. The top of the egg was hydraulic and the innards were a cow's stomach and tripe. Test shots of the egg were filmed using hen's eggs and this footage was used in the early teaser trailers. For this reason, the image of a hen's egg was used on the poster and has become emblematic of the franchise as a whole as opposed to the alien egg that appears in the finished film. So the facehugger was made of sheep's intestine and it was shot out of this egg using high-pressured air hose.
2: Yeah, I mean, it looks great. It looks great it does. It looks,
0: it looks real. incredible.
2: Yeah, it looks real. It looks gross. I mean, it looks exactly the way you would expect, like, an embryo alien to look. Or, like, a baby alien grabber. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, just the way, like, the knuckles and the hand, like, Yeah, are, yeah. It's just so creepy looking.
0: So they shot it out, and then they reversed <laughs> the shot John and slowed it, it his down. Face.
2: All right, yeah. John, stand there. Bang! Stand
0: there, John take one to the face oh man so the face hugger itself was the first creature that Giger designed for the film going through several versions in different sizes before deciding on a small creature with human-like fingers and a long tail Dan O'Bannon with help from Ron Cobb drew his own version based on Giger's design which became the final version so then we see Dallas and Lambert carrying Kane back to the Nostromo Ripley pulls rank, refuses to let them back on board oh, she's without smart. a 24 hour decontamination.
2: Yeah, quarantine. She's smart. Honestly, that's what I would do too. I don't want them fucking people near me with that thing on his face. Like, who knows? Yeah, what Dallas
0: spreading. is like, yeah, he's got a living organism attached to, to his face. Let us in. No big deal. And she's like, uh, no. Okay, Ripley, I'm at the
1: inner lock hatch now. Right. Right here. We're clean. Let us in. What happened to Don't Something has attached itself to him. We have to get him to the infirmary right away. What kind of thing? I need a clear definition. An organism. Open the hatch. Wait a minute. If we let it in, the ship could be infected. You know the quarantine procedure.
2: 24 hours for decontamination.
1: He could die in 24 hours. Open the hatch. Listen to me. If we break quarantine, we could all die.
2: Look, could you open the
1: goddamn hatch? We have to get him inside. No. I can't do that and if you were in my position you'd do the same Ripley this is in order
2: open that hatch right now do you
0: hear me yes Ripley this is in order do you hear me yes I read you the answer is negative in the hatch open this is a fucking Ash dude alright Ash overrides her decision and lets them in himself first thing this shot, I actually fucking found this hysterical. I found this amusing. Ash is like practically digging at the door for it to open up. It's hilarious this shit, dude. He's like sitting there, like clawing at it, trying to get it open, like to get them in because, like, he like just wants to see this alien. <laughs> and second, the scene only makes more sense as the, story, as the story progresses. At first, it appears to be a situation with the male pulling rank on a female trying to be in command. But watching this scene, knowing what eventually happens, really helps make sense of the plot. Knowing what we know, Ash is reveled to the point that he's literally digging for the door to open up because he once put on poor Kane's face. So, Ash, Dallas, together, they get that mask off of Kane and they do a scan on him that shows the creature is actually feeding him air down his throat, essentially keeping him alive while he's in his comatose state. And this is when Dallas makes the final call to get it off of him, and Ash attempts to remove the creature, and then stops immediately after he discovers the corrosive, you know, acid blood that drips down and starts going through floor by floor, and they all start running down, chasing after it, because, you know, it took me a couple watches as a kid to be like why are they chasing it down like floor by floor that makes (laughs) sense it's like because if it gets to that bottom and at the very bottom they're fucked
2: yep there's the hole but yeah anyway it's just like such another iconic decision i mean you know i think pretty much anybody who knows even a little bit about any alien film knows acid for blood it's just such a cool decision because a it just makes aliens more badass more harder to kill but,
0: this is xenomorph shit right here yeah, right
2: but also like it makes sense for this context like because if it didn't have the acid for blood why couldn't you just cut the hooker off like what would be stopping you then like you know so yeah it makes a lot of sense this, this is basically like it it's fail safe where the face hooker's like no one's fucking with me otherwise they're gonna get a face full of acid
0: Ron Cobb came up with the idea that the creature would have powerful acid for blood, a characteristic that would carry over to the adult alien, and would make it impossible for the crew to kill it by conventional means, such as guns or explosives, since the acid would burn through the ship's hull. The reveal of the facehugger is, to me, just the most terrifying moment of the entire film. Like, it gives me chills, literally chills, every time I see Ash crack open the mask to reveal that creature, just wrapping itself even tighter to Kane's face, as his chest breathes in and out. It's, it's just, yeah. And then this used to be my one of my favorite scenes as a kid, watching this when Dallas Ripley, Brett, and Parker go down chasing the dripping acid floor by floor and stop it before it leaks to the bottom of the ship. I used to love that scene for some reason. Even though I didn't really know what the fuck they were doing. It's still. I was like, hey, go chase the acid. Go chase the acid. I was a stupid kid. I guess this is as good as a time to talk about how, you know, this movie is known for its sexual overtones. So, you know, you've got the face huggers attack on Kane. It's like It's comparison to male rape, the chestburster scene is a form of violent birth, noting that the alien's phallic head and method of killing the crew members add to the sexual imagery. Dan O'Bannon has argued that the scene is a metaphor for the male fear of penetration and that the oral invasion of Kane by the facehugger functions as payback for many horror films in which sexually vulnerable women are attacked by a male monster. Writer David McIntyre claims that Alien is a rape movie as much as Straw Dogs or I Spit on Your Grave or The Accused. On one level, it's about an intriguing alien threat. On one level, it's about uh, parasiticism and disease. And on the level that was most important to the writers and director it's about sex and reproduction by non consexual means and it's about this happening to a man he notes how the film plays on men's fear and misunderstandings of pregnancy and childbirth but while also giving women a glimpse of these fears for themselves So where are you at on, you know, the sexual overtones throughout the movie?
2: I mean, it's definitely there. It's not in your face. I think with any good movie, you can either just take the movie straightforward, like it's just an alien and it's just attached itself to its face to reproduce. And yeah, it's survival. Or with any good movie, you can dig into it a little bit more. I mean, obviously the writers uh, are going for something here. I mean, it is just such a form of just the penetration and just such the violation of something attaching itself to your body and implanting you and forcing you to give birth to this creature. I mean, it's just yeah, it's just such a violation. I think that's why the movie's so startling in these couple of scenes and so memorable. So, yeah, like with any great film, I think there's definitely different takes. I mean, I don't think, you know, just with a lot of things, I don't think the writer had all this stuff in mind when they were writing it. they You know, probably had been probably had something of this sort in mind. Definitely. I think like the male rape stuff is definitely a big part in there, but you can read into it several different ways. And I think that's what makes a great movie is just different interpretations of something, you know, but yeah, I, it, you know, as a kid, I didn't pick up on it as much, but definitely more. So now watching as an adult, yeah, it, it's just definitely something you turn on your head because I feel like in other lesser movies, it would be the woman this would be happening to. So it's definitely interesting that it's happening to a man and saying something about that, you know?
0: Yeah, there's definitely something to be said about, you know, take for instance, Kane when he goes to the egg chamber and right before he has the encounter with the face hugger, there's just something to be said about that egg itself and the way it opens up and kind of resembles a, a vagina, I'm going to call it as I see it, you know? There's just something very sexual about that. And then of course. What happens afterwards. With the face hugger coming out. Literally impregnating him with something. That eventually. Bursts out of his chest. When he least expects it. And that's after. This thing that's attached itself to his face. And down his throat. It's. I don't know. It's it's all over with that stuff. and then, And that's it though. Other than that. Like, as far as, like, everything that happens after that, as far as after the creature comes out of Kane and just kind of scurries across the table and deeper into the ship, that's when the sexual stuff kind of ends for me. Except for this little part at the end of the film, which we'll get into when we get to that part, so. But that's where it kind of, like, starts and ends for me. This is when we get the wide shot of the empty room that Kane's laid up in with the shot panning around and eventually lands on Ash doing more research on the organism attached to Kane when Ripley comes in asking for updates on Kane and their guests and what I really like about this scene here is how it eventually snowballs into these two characters going back and forth about Ash going over Ripley when she was senior command officer at the time of the three crew members trying to re-enter with that unknown organism attached to one of them. Ash claims he was merely saving Kane and then asks her what she would have done in that situation. Again, it's a really great scene between these two here, and I do really like the tension that that builds up between these two which leads to, you know, the, the eventual climax to the reveal of him being an android. So, and her reaction to it at it all. It's 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 great build up. That's all. So, Ash calls Dallas and tells him that he should have a look at Kane, and when asked if it's serious, Ash responds with, interesting. Cut to Dallas slowly entering Kane's room, along with Ripley. They find Kane laying alone without the creature attached to his face anymore, and they're looking around one by one all over the place, or own areas, and eventually it falls in front of Ripley dead, delivering a quick jump scare as it's eventually found. And after a quick autopsy of the facehugger, they confirm it's dead, and Ripley wants it gone, but Ash wants to keep it for further tests. And Dallas allows Ash to keep it for further testing against Ripley's wishes. The ship is partially repaired, and the crew continues their journey back home. And for the autopsy sequence that we see, which is more or less just a quick scene, more more of that than a sequence itself, Scott used pieces of fish and shellfish to create its viscera so yeah man Kane's back there's no more facehugger Ash is now in control of that doing whatever tests androids seem to do you know everything seems to be happy-go-lucky the ship's been repaired or at least partially enough for them to get home
2: yeah they all go home happily ever after <laughs>
0: the end of the movie yeah they all go home they fought the Palm Queen and they all live happily ever <laughs> after let me just say and this has been Alien from 1979
2: <laughs> Let me just say one thing, like, I can't believe that they would just let him, like, re-ingratiate with the crew, like, and start eating. I I don't know, like, to me, like, yeah, the face hugger fell off, but wouldn't you quarantine (sighs) him for a little while? I don't know, I just think it's very odd.
0: This is one of my one question, one answers. I had two for this episode, and that was one of them. Yeah. How the fuck is Kane not in quarantine right now?
2: He's just back eating with everybody. They're making jokes about the food, especially Ripley. Like, what is she doing? I guess she figures, like, fuck it now, <laughs> you Everyone else is doing me.
0: it. No, this is all wrong. So it's the final meal before they're returning to the stasis, and they're just everyone's happy-go-lucky. There's fucking king with everyone, mingling, no quarantine eating the cornbread and whatever fucking hack slash fucking shit he's eating. And he starts to choke and fucking... I love how Parker's trying to just kind of, like, ease the situation. He's like, the food ain't that bad, baby. Yeah. And he's just like, "Uh, uh, And then he just starts just convulsing and, and fucking curls up. And and, and, and you know, he's just having an attack. they're trying to get him comfortable we see Parker make numerous attempts to fucking get the spoon into his mouth so he can bite down on it that goes unsuccessful Um, and then it's just kind of like a quick blood spurt everyone's like what the fuck was that and then we have an alien (laughs) really
1: (laughs) maybe (laughs) running I that need it. Need it. out all these coconuts you know, and fruits, pineapples fruit, honey, fruit, honey. Honey. The first thing that I'm going to do when I get back is to get some decent food. I can dig it, man. i am telling you, I've been eating first food in this, but Then I'll taste it better, you know what I'm saying, the other over there. You pound down the stuff like that. Uh-huh. I'd rather be eating something else but, uh, right now I'm digging food. Well, uh, you just know, you know you know what it's made of. I know that. I don't want to talk about it, baby. I'm eating this. <laughs> what's the matter? The food ain't that bad, baby. <laughs> you chill for trouble? <laughs> <My tongue. laughs> what? 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 Hey! Hey, what's <laughs> the matter? <laughs> I'm ha yeah. Ha <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh no, don't touch ball. it. Don't touch it. <laughs>
0: And I I gotta say that that curling scream that Kane lets out as the alien bursts through his chest plate—it's fucking haunting. It is haunting, brother.
2: Yeah, and just the way like his hands are still twitching, like when the alien's coming yes. out, like it's just a nice touch. Like he's just like still, because obviously at that point it's like a prosthetic or whatever, and it, it's like you know it it's it's something they made, but you can just see the hands twitching. It's just enough right. where you're like, oh god, that looks so gross. And like right here is the one effect where it doesn't quite hold up. When the alien runs away, it does look a little silly, like a little B movie. It's just slid under the table. Yeah, it's just like joint. Like like it comes out. I like I like how it looks at him as like you motherfuckers. Like it just like pans around. And You're all gonna people. die. And then it goes, "Hello, my baby. Hello, my darling." And it goes yeah. zoink, right out of the screen. Like it is a little <laughs> bit funny.
0: And Ash man seemingly giving off the impression that he's expecting all this. Like he's like, Don't touch it. Don't touch it.
2: Yeah. And uh, you know, you Fucker. know the story with the um actors here, right? Like they didn't know the blood was gonna explode on them. So like a lot of the no, actors they didn't.
0: It's a genuine reaction. Yeah, it's a genuine reaction. But, looking, I knew that. Which
2: makes it very realistic looking, especially when you watch like some of the uh characters in the background of this scene. Like, I like, uh, you Kodo's face in one of the scenes. He's like, what the fuck? Like, you can definitely tell it's a genuine (laughs) reaction. Just a great scene. Just such an awesome idea to get the alien on this ship. Just so gruesome. Uh, I mean, this was the first, one of the first scenes I watched when I watched this movie, and it'll always stick with me. I I remember holding my chest watching it.
0: (laughs) I've been down that road before. I get it. Uh, where am I at here? Jerry Goldsmith, heart-pounding opening to his iconic alien theme as the crew release Kane's body into space.
2: It kind of shoots out comically, like, it's like, I I, I don't know, like, you would expect, like, the body to shoot out gracefully, but it shoots out like a a fucking, (laughs) like, football got kicked or something like that, like... Like, you almost expect to hear, like, the goofy, like, like as it flies away. Like, it is kind of comical looking. I don't know why I thought it was funny, but it kind of is. It's not graceful. He shoots out like a fucking pinball. Like, it's pretty funny.
0: Oh, man. Um, let me see here. Oh, yeah, and we've seen that play out before, and, um, Paul Vanderhoof in Star Trek Troopers. Troopers uh, Dina Meyer after she gets killed they no it's not Dina Meyer I think it's Dina Meyer actually her character they had that they just dump it out in the space be done with it
2: <laughs> And they do that <laughs> so with was... Spock like in um was it Star Trek 3 search for Spock didn't they shoot him I in the space so.
0: I think so well did he die in part 2 though he
2: Dies in 2 but the third one's about um like his death and everything yeah yeah,
0: gotcha, it's been a minute uh, so yeah Jerry Goldsmith, that score I fucking love it so much, um it's just an underrated theme that I've always felt got lost in the shuffle when it comes to iconic themes and it, it that also goes, you know it, it even makes even more sense with James Horner's score doing aliens for the next one, it rivals it so um, Ridley Scott originally wanted Fox to be... He wanted the film... Sorry, to be f- scored by Sal Tamina. But Fox wanted a, mo- a more familiar composer. And Goldsmith was recommended by then-president of Fox, Alan Ladd Jr. Goldsmith wanted to create a sense of romanticism, romanticism and lyrical mystery in the film's opening scenes which would build throughout the film to suspense and fear. Scott did not like Goldsmith's original main piece. However, Goldsmith rewrote it, rewrote it as the obvious thing, weird and strange, and everyone everyone loved it. Another source of tension was editor Terry Rollins' choice to use pieces of Goldsmith's music from previous films, including a piece from Fraud, The Secret Passion, and he used an Excerpt from Howard Hanson Sympathy number two for the end credits. So, um, yeah, you know, nevertheless, the Goldsmith, the score here, uh, was nominated Golden Globe Best Personal Score, Grammy Award, Best Soundtrack Album, and it actually won a BAFTA Award for Best Film Music. And it was also nominated, oh, I'm sorry, it was released. And as a soundtrack album and several versions with different tracks and sequences. So it's hunting season now on Benistromo as the,
2: (laughs) i love what they go out with like this little cattle prod in the fucking net like it looks like they're trying to catch like a gopher or cat or something like that
0: tracking the voices
2: net cattle
0: prods flamethrowers
2: this is little net though i'm just like what are they catching like a freaking toddler like it it is kind of funny because obviously they're expecting like this little alien and then that's not what they're getting here soon no, no,
0: nope no. So Ripley Parker and Brett are working together when they pick up something with the tracker. Thinking they got the creature cornered, they go to track it only for Jonesy, the missing cat, to appear and run off. uh Brett goes after Jonesy so that he doesn't get picked up on the radar accidentally again. And he chases him into the landing leg component of the ship where he meets his bloody demise after discovering the alien's recently shed skin laying on the ground. What makes this moment so iconic in my eyes is the shot of Jonesy's dead stare reaction as Brett's being killed by the fully grown xenomorph. Like I always think that that shot and the overall fact that I get the sense of feeling wet watching this sequence play out because all you hear is the dripping water and the swinging chains. It, yeah. It all makes for a very intense moment.
2: Yeah, it's and, very iconic, yeah. And it really adds a sense of scale to the ship. Like, it just makes the ship feel huge right here, because, like, you got this big, you know, big, tall chamber with these chains hanging down and the water dripping down. Like, right. it, it just adds an extra dimension to the ship, and it, it's just really awesome. Like, it's definitely... Like I said, the chest burst scene is burned in my memory, and this scene, like, is really what hooked me when I was a kid, because, like, the chest burst was cool, and then this just kept me right going. I was just like, oh, man, this this is so creepy. And it's so simple, like, it's so dead simple uh, when you think about it. Like, basically, the alien comes down right behind him, you see the cat staring, and then boom, alien shoots its, uh, you know, uh, mandible mouth thing into his head, and it's just so quick. But it's just so memorable because of all the elements we were just talking about. It's awesome. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, t- so to get Jones the cat to react fearfully to the alien, they got an actual German shepherd placed in front of him with a screen between the two, so the cat couldn't see it at first. The screen was later suddenly removed to make Jones stop at ed- advancing and start hissing. <laughs> and that's where that comes from and speaking of Jonesy do we know how cats react to hypersleep well, I don't know like why is there a cat up there to begin with especially when they're going to be sleeping for months at a time does that how does that work for cats as well like they can't just like leave an abundance of food out for them and hope <laughs> the guy like, gets them through the next 11 months they're like, while they're you know passing out
2: yeah here's a big thing of nap. have fun
0: <laughs> Jesus so yeah the crew determined that the creature has suddenly grown after Parker confirms that it dragged Brett into the air duct by itself they want to corner it and flush it out of the ship from the airlock so that's their game plan they are gonna one by one just corner this fucker and get him into the airlock and just flush him out easy plan (laughs) sounds like an easy plan
1: sure it took him into the air shaft. It disappeared into one of the cooling ducts. No question, is It's using the air ducts to move around. Could he want Brett alive? What? Could Brett be alive? I, no. I mean, I, I don't think so. Well, this air shaft may work to our advantage here. It leads up to and comes out in the main airline. All right. One big opening along the way, we can cover that up, and then we drive it into the airlock and zap it into outer space. This son of a bitch is huge. I mean, it's like a man. It, it's big. Cain's some. Come on, Ash. I mean, the science department should be able to help us. What can we do to drive it? Yes, well, it's adapted remarkably well to our... Atmosphere considering its nutritional requirements the only thing we don't know about is temperature okay What about temperature what happens if we change it? Let's try it. I mean most animals retreat from fire. Yeah? Fire yeah Parker, can you rig uh, three or four incinerator units? Give me in about 20 minutes. I'll do it Gets to go into the vent. I do No You and No you and Ash take the main airlock. Parker, Lambert, you cover up that maintenance opening place.
0: Dallas goes to Mother, back to the Mother room, and asks for survival chances.
2: <laughs> what are my odds, Mother's like, you're fucked.
0: Does not compute. <laughs> like, like a true eight ball.
2: Yeah. That would be funny, like he asked Mother. The motherboard mother, says you're fucked. <laughs> yeah, the map says we're fucked. Now, uh, it would be pretty funny, like, if he asked Mother, like, what are my odds? does not compute, and then he just fucking looks down at the 8-ball, like, what are my odds, (laughs) 8-ball? He's just like, give me something here, people.
0: (laughs) Oh, shit.
2: Now, I will say, at least Dallas steps up here, because he's been kind of a shitty fucking leader so far.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree a few hundred percent. After that, we go to the air dock for Dallas, and then, uh, this is where he's... Tracking the alien with the flamethrower.
1: Check that out, Lambert. You may be getting
2: interference. Dallas, are you sure there is no sign of it? I mean, it is there.
1: It's got to be around there. Dallas? Am I, am I Claire Lambert? I want to get the hell out of here. Oh God, it's moving right towards you. Uh. Move! Uh. Get out of there! Don't you move! Dad!
2: scene. Tables
0: have turned. The aliens coming at it's a very intense scene too. It, it, the fucking alien ends up coming after him, and you can't see or hear the alien because all you can tell is this the, the 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 tracker it's just bleeping louder and louder, faster and faster, indicating that it's getting closed. It's closing in on him. And then you've got like the the hysterical Lambert like you get know, out of there, Alice, yeah. Get out of there. You're going the wrong way,
2: Dallas And then he turns and just go. <laughs> Yeah, it I love, cuts out. yeah, I love the alien. Whoa, give me a hug. Um, yeah. But yeah, this scene, like it's so genius, like the way they have the beeping going on. Like it's just such a simple thing, but it's so effective just hearing that beep, 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 beep. Like you just it's like your heart rate going up, essentially. And, and it's just so great. And I love um, the claustrophobia you feel with Dallas in the air ducts. And I love uh, the way they have those, like, the different um, hatches. The way they close those metal um, hatches are so cool looking. Like, they just look like they could cut you in fucking half. Like, those metal valves. I don't know if you like that, too, but it's just so awesome, the design of those and the way the vent is in this scene.
0: Oh, and then, yes. Yeah, so, like I said, they, this fl- they find this flamethrower, but no body, no blood, no indication that he's gone. He's just vanished
2: off the top gun
0: off the grid off the top gun exactly <laughs> Ripley now has access to mother so she goes in and discovers the company has secretly ordered ash to return the alien yeah. and uh yeah basically bummer
2: they don't matter crew expendable
0: expendable exactly um I guess this is a good a time as any to talk about quote-unquote the company which of course is weyland yutani uh, a villain almost as big as the xenomorph itself in this series so they're responsible for the whole signal that leads to them getting the egg and tampering with that and shit like they led them there and then their own stupidity got them into the situation that they're in um So yeah, Weyland-Yutani, their role has, it it just gets a quick mention in this movie in the form of a logo. They don't even mention it by name, I don't think. Then in the second one, you get a little bit more, in fact, in the second one, like, their role increases to to, to, uh, reflect the actual plot. Like, they're responsible for the, yeah, the Paul Reiser character. Yeah, who is in turn there to do something that I don't know I vaguely remember him because I haven't seen aliens either before in a while either so I think like he's,
2: he's there, there to fuck a little, little side mission yeah he's there to recover what he can with the alien yeah I mean basically the company gets worse and worse in each fucking movie <laughs> that's essentially what happens
0: alright so Ripley confronts Ash who tries to choke her to death in a very unique way I've got to say, I've never seen someone try and stuff a rolled up magazine down someone's throat in an effort to kill them before this is a first. Because that's what he does. He just takes a fucking magazine. He's he's like attacked. She goes after him and he goes after her and then like because he's a fucking android of course, he's got the upper hand And he's fucking holding her down and she's like fucking wailing and trying to you know, escape and and shit and he just grabs a fucking magazine and Rolls it up and stuffs it down at the throat. And he's like, you like that?
2: Yeah, it's very odd. Yeah, I guess it makes sense. He's like, this is what I got. I'm going to use it.
0: Yeah. So Ripley confronts. Hang on a second. We got that already. Oh, yeah. So, okay. So, yeah. Um... R- yeah. So, yeah. This, this this confrontation between Ripley and Ash and uh, after the whole magazine thing happens, Parker comes in and knocks ashes or pretty much damn near knocks his entire head off. Like he knocks it off. Um, it's loose and he's spazzing out. And <laughs>
2: I love the way he spazzes out. He's like, <laughs> like it's just he, kind of funny. Like he's definitely he's just going fucking crazy haywire.
0: as this like milky android.
2: Yeah, I, I love the like the way the innards look and everything like with the milk. Yeah, it's definitely a very unique uh, look and style uh, that the franchise uses here. Oh, well, it starts here, but then uses uh, in the sequels as well. It, 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 it looks cool. It looks like somewhat organic, but obviously synthetic. And uh, yeah, I really dig the look like with the milky, because I feel like the stereotypical way would be like the black motor oil or something like that. But to me, that always looked too much like blood. So I, I, I dig the whole white milky look and uh, it's pretty uh, cool like the way they have like the fucking prosthetic hanging off and then obviously they have uh you know the actor's body still going here like because even though his head's knocked off he's still coming at him. Right, you know, like, right. Ash ain't done yet. <laughs> you know so it's kind of entertaining.
0: Yes. um wanted to say something about that no, fuck it. See, so, uh, Parker, Ripley, and Lambert reactivate his head, Ash, and then they learn that he was assigned to ensure the creature's survival. He expresses admiration for the creature's psychology, unhindered by conscience or morality, and taunts the remaining crew members about their chances of survival.
1: Ash, can you hear me? Ash! Yes, I can hear you. What was your special order? You read it. I thought it was clear. What was it? Bring back life form. Priority one. All other priorities rescinded. There's a damn company. What about our lives, you son of a bitch? I repeat. All other priorities are ascended. How do we kill it, Ash? There's gotta be a way of killing it. How? How do we do it? You can't. That's bullshit. You still don't understand what you're dealing with, do you? Perfect organism. Its structural perfection is matched only by its hostility. You admire it. I admire its purity, a survivor, unclothed by conscience, remorse, or delusions of morality. Look, I'm, I've heard enough of this, and I'm asking you to pull the plug. Last word. I can't lie to you about your chances. But You have my sympathies. We're gonna blow up the ship. We'll take our chances in the shuttle. Blow up the ship. Yeah.
0: He finally cuts off his power and says they're gonna blow the ship up instead. So Parker incinerates Ash's head and remains after the women step out. So Ripley searches for and eventually finds Jonesy, while Parker and Lambert are both ambushed and killed by the xenomorph in one of the more confusing scenes of this movie.
2: Yeah, because like she won't move out of the way. Like it's so stupid. Like Lambert move and she's like, like I mean it's just so dumb. Like fucking take a step. You know, because, like, Parker probably could have blasted the bastard right here, the xenomorph, with the flamethrower, but he couldn't because Lambert was just standing there like a jackass.
0: I agree. Back to their death scene. So, it's hard to tell what is going on in this scene, and for the life of me, 30 years after watching this for the first time, I still cannot give you a solid, definite answer on how both Parker and Lambert are killed in this movie.
2: Yeah, it's very confusing. It's cut up. Like, you could tell it's a limitation of just, I'm sure, what the Xenomorph costume could do and how it would look. So, yeah, it's a little chopped up here. Um, But, yeah, because, like, the tail comes into play, too. But it's definitely not one of the movie's strong suits. I I don't know. comes off a little B-movie-ish to me, like, just the way it all happens. But, you know, it is what it is. You know, the film had its limitations. So
0: okay, they're dead. The rest of the movie now is more or less a slow burn towards a climactic finale. You got Ripley initiating the self-destruct sequence, but then finds the alien blocking her path to the shuttle. She retreats and unsuccessfully tries to abort the self-destruct thing. <laughs> she's like, so "God damn she, you,
2: mother!" <laughs> yeah,
0: literally says that. Um, now she's fucking left with five minutes and a grudge against the bitch mother so out of options and out of time Ripley flees to the shuttle carrying Jonesy and just barely escaping as the Nostromo explodes anytime there's a countdown sequence to an explosion of this magnitude I'm always going to be on the edge watching like same goes for this scene as well like even though I know it happens like it's still like countdowns it's I don't know stupid me always they always you know keep me on edge so um as ripley and her tiny tush prepare for stasis
2: <laughs> no the tiniest panties known to man
0: she's wearing like a boy's size six brutal loom underwear I, that's like, one thing fuck?
2: it's a little jarring to me watching it because like <sighs> i i don't understand like whose idea was it like was it Sigourney weaver's like i want to show my ass or was it like ridley scott's like yeah we need you to wear this fucking toddler size panties like, I, I don't know, like, I understand, like, she's in her skivvies, but, like, can't they get the girl a pair of panties that fucking fit? Like, I mean, it doesn't bother me, I guess, but it's just odd. I don't I don't think you would see that in a modern film, like, I don't know, like, unless they're purposely trying to sexualize her, which, I mean, Sigourney Weaver's hot, like, I'm not saying anything against that, but it's just she's portrayed as, like, this heroine, like, just... Uh, smart and brave and kick ass and then now she's like being sexualized right here I don't know I just don't it it just seems jarring to me it just seems odd an odd choice right here with the small panties it throws me off a little bit watching it
0: yeah I've I've never understood it like even as far back as watching this when I was little I was always like wait a minute why is her ass just hanging out like throughout this entire third act it's just weird it doesn't belong so yeah like this alien now has managed to sneak on to her shuttle and catches it sleeping it's it's wedged like perfectly it gives off the illusion that like it's perfectly blended in with everything that's you know sitting there too
2: yeah it scared the shit out of me when i was a kid because i didn't know the you know slasher trope where you know they were never dead the first time i thought the fucking movie was over and then it's like no right still there
0: a lot of people did So she dons a spacesuit and uses gas to flush out the creature. Approaches Ripley. And before it can attack, she opens up the airlock door. Almost blasting it into space. However, this motherfucker is still hanging on. Gripping the frame. Finally, she shoots it with a grappling hook. But the gun catches as the airlock door closes. Tethering the alien to the shuttle. So it pulls itself into an engine exhaust only for her to fire off the engines blasting it into a deep space. It is done son. <laughs> and it was Sigourney Weaver's idea. It was her. She was the one who came up with it. The idea of having a psychological crutch to help her survive. So that's why she does that, that very faint You Are My Lucky Star song while she's getting rid of the xenomorph.
1: You really lucky lucky, lucky, lucky,
0: lucky, lucky, lucky. Okay. Scott mentions how much flack he got from the production studio because of how expensive the rights to the song were, but... It's Ridley Scott. He don't give a fuck what you want him to do in his movies. They are his, so... And, yeah, I, I, I'd imagine watching this entire sequence, it's probably a living nightmare for people with epilepsy, with all the flashing lights going on. It's just... <laughs> not a good not a good one. And, finally, Alien originally was to conclude with the destruction of the Nostromo while Ridley escapes in the shuttle Narcissus. However, Scott, keep up with a fourth act to which the alien appears on the shuttle and Ripley is forced to confront it. He pitched the idea of the 20th Century Fox and negotiated an increase through the budget over the scene, uh, being shot. And uh, what do you think they said, Corey?
2: They said, uh, no, we don't want to spend the money, but Ridley Scott said, fuck you, we're doing it. (laughs) (laughs) And honestly, this movie would be, I think the ending would be a little lackluster if it just ended... With Ridley escaping in the shuttle and everything being all right. I mean, it's just such a great ending. Just like just the way Ripley's like just basically fighter flights over like her adrenaline's wore off. She's getting undressed and getting ready to go to sleep and then just discovers the alien. So she's like, it's such a vulnerable state and then so scary. It's just such a great ending. I I, I love the way she dispatches the alien in this. Just awesome getting in the spacesuit and flushing it out. Like, I, I just love the right. ending. I can't imagine this movie with a different ending.
0: Yeah, originally Scott wanted the alien to bite Ripley's head off and then had the alien make a final log and an entry into the system using Ripley's voice.
2: Oh, But, uh, right yeah, right producers
0: vetoed this idea because they believe the alien should die at the end of the film. So, yeah, I can't get down with that. Can you imagine, like, after everything that's happened in this third act, hell, even the stuff that happened in the first and second acts with Ripley, only for her in the end to have her fucking face bitten off by an alien, like, you'd be pissing off a lot of people.
2: Yeah.
0: Yep, after recording the final log entry, she places Jonesy and herself in the stasis for the trip back home. And ladies and gentlemen, that is Alien from 1979. Director Ridley Scott starring Sigourney Weaver, Tom Scared, Yafikoto, Veronica Cartwright, Ian Holm, and, uh...
2: Harry Dean Stan. Harry Dean Stan.
0: Thank you. John Heard. And the cat. And Jonesy (laughs) the cat. (laughs) Alright, let's do box office receipts.
1: Point is, ladies and gentlemen, that... Greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works.
0: All right. So the film premiered on May 25th, 1979. as the opening night feature of the fourth uh, Seattle International Film Festival. Uh, before being presented in, oh, uh, it was to be presented at sev- in 70 millimeter um, at midnight for that festival before being released on June 22nd, 1979 from 20th Century Fox. Theater count, 635 screens, which wasn't that bad for 79, opened up in first place, grossing $5.3 million. Second weekend, it dropped down to second place, and it dropped 14.2%, down to 45 Total gross was $106.2 million against an $11 budget. (laughs)
2: <laughs> the numbers don't lie 11 million dollar budget
0: 11 million dollar budget the numbers don't lie alien took the box office by storm and would eventually become the billion dollar franchise it's known as today spawning numerous sequels some spin-offs and giving us one of the most popular hollywood protagonists in ripley it gave us a lot i mean this is up there you know you got your aliens you've got your predators you've got your terminators Iconic stuff that, that, that came out around that era, you know, in the 80s, or the, in this case, the late 70s, um, so, yeah, I mean, made a pretty penny, went off the spawn the franchise it is today, so now that, that we put a pin on that, let's move over to the critics' corner to see what they all had to say about the movie. <laughs> Right, so the film currently has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 98% based off 132 reviews with the critical consensus that says a modern classic alien blends science fiction, horror, and bleak poetry into a seamless whole. Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert uh, both back in the day when their sneak preview show They gave this two yes votes. Ebert called it one of the scariest two fashion space operas I can remember. Siskel agreed that it was a scary one, but it said that it basically was just a haunted house movie and in a spaceship and was not the greatest science fiction film ever made. Gene Siskel gave the film three stars out of four in his original print review, calling it an accomplished piece of scary entertainment and praising Sigourney Weaver as an actress who should become a major star. But listed among the film's disappointments that, for me, the final shape of the alien was the least scary of its forms. Ouch. Later on, Eves would review this again, and he gave it four stars this time. One of the great strengths of Alien is its pacing. It takes its time. It waits. It allows silences. The majestic opening shots are underscored by Jerry Goldsmith with scarcely audible, far-off metallic chatterings. It suggest the enormity of the crew's discovery by building up to its small steps. The interception of a signal is it a warning or an SOS that is sent to the extraterrestrial surface. The bitching by Brett and Parker who are concerned only about the collecting of the shares, the master stroke of the surf. Uh, the master stroke of the surface through which the character the crew members move, the helmet lights hardly penetrating the soap, the shadowy outline of the alien ship, the sight of the alien pilot frozen in his command chair. The enormity of the discovery inside the ship it's full of leathery eggs. James Broad and Ellie from Real Views gave it 3.5 out of 4. He said the way Scott meticulously raises the sense of menace and tension is worthy of Hitchcock. Our boy Chris Stuckman, 4 stars. He said, I adore this movie. It has engaging characters, an incredible creature, and it's incredibly scary. It's one of Ridley Scott's best films. You've just been stuckmanized. And finally, Dave Kerr from the Chicago Tribune gave it a least envious review, saying an empty-headed horror movie with nothing to recommend it beyond the disco inspired art direction and some handsome, if gimmicky, cinematography. Now that we heard what they all thought, let's hear more what we thought in the form of P's and C's pros and cons. Before
1: I take on any job, I ah, look at it the same way as it takes to make the thing. Positive versus negative. Now, you mix a little bit of this with a little bit of that, and you get a reaction.
0: All right, Corey, I'm going to let you go first with the pros.
2: Yeah, so the top pro for me, and the thing that's most striking about the movie, is just the alien design and H.R. Geiger stuff. It just burned into my head it's just so iconic spawned and influenced so many movies so many properties um i'll just never forget the scenes when they're walking into the ship for the first time and the way the xenomorph looks uh you know i just got to give it up for the production design the special effects just everything in this movie looks excellent even by today's standards it looks real like the ship looks like it's an actual ship and it's lived in the Alien planet, it just looks like this alien organic thing that they're walking into. Everything is just spot on and just fantastic. I mean, it's just a treat for the eyes. Like, yeah, there might not be a whole lot of plot going on at that point, but. Right. My lord. I mean, just. It, it's just so awesome to just pause things and just look at it. I mean, how many movies can you say that about? Just everything works. Everything. The attention to detail is just perfect. I mean, they just nailed it spot on, and to me, that's the biggest strength of the film. Uh, My next one is the cast. I mean, all-star cast. We already mentioned all the names. Uh, You know, obviously Sigourney Weaver leading it, but I mean, everybody's good in their roles. You know, I I enjoy everybody. I mean, just an excellent cast. Uh, Just the acting is top-notch. Just very easy. Even though the writing's good, uh, it's just very easy for even uh, actors with good writing to just botch it. So, uh, yeah, all the characters are, you know, at least somewhat likable or not likable by design. But, um, you know, everybody's great in the film uh, for reasons we already mentioned. Uh, My next pro is definitely the music, the score. Uh, You know, I I would take the Alien score over this one, but, uh, you know, it's good. it definitely stands out like I, I, I wouldn't say I've ever listened to it on its own, but uh, definitely, especially in the opening scenes, I can just kind of close my eyes and listen to it. I've seen the movie so many times, but yeah, I just really enjoy the music. I, I, I think it's uh, very unique uh, in the film. Um, and then, yeah, I think that's it for me, actually. Yep. That's all my pros. Just a excellent movie
0: all right uh for me i got uh i got three or four the amount of intensity we've thrown that word around already the first half of the breakdown so it, it, it's it's one of the best ways for me at least to describe everything we've just witnessed and talked about so far um or as a whole um it's just everything about this movie so fucking intense uh, the composer, Jerry Goldsmith's crescendoing iconic score. I gave it much praise during the breakdown, and here I am giving it more. It's one of the best things about this film. It's one of my favorite things about this film. The acting is superb between everyone involved. I mean, it, it, it is. It really is. Finally, the design itself, of the xenomorph, um, the, the inspiration from uh, HR and all. So, but yeah, that's all. That's those four. uh, Really, you know, one of the the the, nail my pros home. So now that's out of the way. Uh, Rolling the cons, core.
2: Uh, I mean, I don't have any really serious cons. I mean, it it's a masterpiece in my opinion. I mean, are some of the crew a little bit dumb in the movie? I wouldn't say they're dumb. There's just a couple questionable choices, but at the same time. You know, if you put my if I put myself in that situation, I might react that way too. I might not think about quarantining somebody or think about certain things like that, you know, in the heat of the moment. So I can't necessarily say the characters are dumb in this movie, but there is questionable decisions, but again, you don't have a movie without it. So, you know, that would be, I guess, one con is like some of the characters definitely do questionable things. Um you know, my I guess my second con is and it's not even necessarily a con for me, but I've heard the argument the first half is a little bit of a drag in the movie, like the slow burn. I'm OK with that. I think that, like I said, the production and the world building and the acting and everything else gives it enough of what's going on uh, to keep the movie interesting. But I can understand, like, you know, especially if you're new to this movie, you're told it's a horror movie in space and the first hour nothing happens. And, you know, because you don't get your chest burst scene until the end of the first hour of the film so you know i can understand that con you know if somebody said it was a slow burn i could definitely see like a younger person watching this for the first time saying oh my god like what is going on here why isn't anything happening so you know i'll throw that in there just because it's so tough to critique this movie because it's so awesome but yeah i could understand the argument being made the first half is kind of slow not really for me i still really think it's enjoyable but you know i i could see the argument so i'll throw it in there
0: I have two in there. One question, one answer. So we're going to go to that right now. So let's do just that.
1: Do you have any other questions for me, Counselor?
0: Just how in the hell did the xenomorph in this movie grow so quickly? Like like it does. Like, it, it, I mean, it's literally born from Kane's body. And then two scenes later, it's shown in full form. Tearing people apart as Kane's, you know, ripped, himself, ripped apart himself. It's, It's i don't know i'm sure there's something about this the the design that's explained somewhere along the lines of fast maturing or something of that magnitude if i missed it then forgive me but i don't recall from the two times i did watch this the, the film's dialogue like i said if i missed it please forgive me but other than that i don't understand how this alien creature can get so quickly i mean so big so quickly like this like it's 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 crazy it's born Two scenes later, it's fully grown. And then another one, um, I I have just a a bonus question for the episode. Like, why the fuck isn't Kane in quarantine after he wakes up? Like, you ask, Corey. It's just a general question I have. It's what I wrote down for my Q&A section. Like, it's just, I I, I have no idea. The, The answer I wrote down, though, they acted emotionally instead of rationally. That's that. But those two are the issues I have with the movie, but they're not even that big. They're just minor. So, all right. Now, what's uh oh, no, Corey, I'm getting ahead of myself. How about you? One question, one answer.
2: Yeah, mine is about the quarantine, too. And it's not, I mean, it's partially why isn't, uh, you know, Kane in quarantine. But my biggest issue that doesn't make any sense about that whole situation is, even if you're not going to put him in quarantine, why isn't Ripley raising any concerns? I mean, she wanted to lock him out of the fucking ship earlier. Like, why isn't she saying something now? Like, all you would have to do is throw a little scene or a couple throwaway lines in there. Like, I still think Kane should be in quarantine. You know, something like that. And that would make a little bit more sense to me. I'm like, why isn't Ripley reacting to this in a different way when she's been right. so pragmatic so far? So that would be my question is, why isn't she doing something?
0: All right, very good. Moving on to recasting call.
1: No, dickhead. Of course I could. A nutless monkey could do your job. Oh, I don't. Now go get drunk and take credit at all the parties. I would never do not that to Junkie.
0: All right, I had three. I wrote down. One of them was kind of a joke. The other two, I'm kind of half serious, half not. Well, maybe one of them I'm dead serious, but so the jokey joke one. Um, Christopher Walken as Ash. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like his
0: his head there, it's like you you still don't understand what you're dealing with, do you? I I can't do walking; it's horrible. But like him doing that whole that bit with like you know the the structural perfection is matched by its own hostility. That whole quote with its head, it's it'd be perfect. Yeah, I was just it, I love it. And Nancy Allen as a younger Lambert, possibly I was I was I was kicking that that performance around what that would be like as well as Susan Sarandon as Ripley. Why haven't we talked about that? Damn I think it, you Susan stole Sarandon, mine.
2: That was literally mine, Susan no, Sarandon. No, r- are you shitting me? No, that was mine. I was like, I could totally wow. see Susan Sarandon in there Me as too. Ripley.
0: Me too, dude. Well then, shit, let's talk about that for a second then. Like, absolutely, it's one of the first things I thought about was like, Susan Sarandon though, hot off of fucking rocky horror picture show like and, and right before the hunger i mean she was she's bound to work with you know little brother tony and his first film coming up
2: yeah i i think she would have been a great choice you know obviously i can't imagine really anybody else other than Sigourney weaver because she's synonymous with the role but i mean yeah susan sarandon is a close second I could totally see her pulling it off and coming back. I'm just a huge fan of hers and yeah, I think she would be great in the movie as well. So that was mine. That was literally the only one I really had um, was her is is Ripley. I, I I really didn't think of anybody else for any of the other roles. So that was, that was mine. I was, I could totally see her in there kicking ass as well.
0: All right. Well, let's make it a blockbuster night. Tonight, make it a blockbuster night. See, if I'm renting the original Alien, then I'm definitely getting aliens along with it. Ain't got no time for snacks tonight. I'm watching Alien movies. That's all for me. How about you?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to eat snacks when there's like KY jelly dripping off. I know. It's It's so so nasty. And so nasty. And then the chestburster scene, you know, nothing makes me want to eat more than that. So... Yeah, I, I don't know, it's just... I, there's certain movies where I just don't really have a, much of a desire to eat food. And this is one of them, just the way the alien looks with the slime coming off of it. I I don't know, I think I'd be uh, abstaining, I'd be making it a water bottle night for me. Like, I don't think yeah. I'd be eating much of anything right. else. That's just how I am. There's just certain movies where I just don't really want to eat. And it's not even really associated with gore. There's plenty of horror movies, like... I mean, I'll sit there during a Friday the 13th and munch on some snacks, but the, this one in particular with the chest burst and the just the, how slimy the alien looks just kind of grosses me out a little bit. So, yeah, I'd probably be passing the snack and candy aisle just going straight to check out with alien.
0: All right. Let's move along to Mulligan Moment.
1: If you had to do it all over again, would you make the same choices?
0: So, Parker and Lambert's death scene needs to be revisited and revised. You can't tell what happened to them in the, in the final product due to the dark picture and choppy editing. Something's got to be done there. That said, if I could just change one thing, it would be that. Continue to kill them all, but do so in a way that everybody's happy and can actually see said deaths occurring so. Horror is the name of the game and I do realize that you're trying to say it's, it's trying to pull this off as a sci-fi movie through and through and it is. It's definitely a sci-fi film but you can't argue the fact that there's definitely horror elements that are attached to it so.
2: Yeah mine would be the same. I, I really don't like the death scene at all for both of them. I think it is a cop out. You know this movie isn't about the gore or the kills. You know I totally get that it's about the atmosphere and the fear of something unknown coming to get you. I'm totally fine with that, but yeah, it, it, it's a major letdown. But just to throw something else out there, too, since you already said this one. Um, you know, the whole scene with Dallas, great scene. Awesome scene. Like, just so tense. Great. Wouldn't change anything about it other than the ending. Like, the just the way it ends with him seeing the alien. Like, you get the good jump scare, the alien reaches out. I just wish you saw a little bit more, because right right now the way the movie looks it's like the alien's like give me a hug and then (laughs) it's the end of the scene and then the fucking dallas is just gone which you know i'm okay with i guess not seeing his death on screen that's fine but just the way the alien looks like just rework it a little bit (laughs) where maybe the alien tackles him or something i don't know right right other than just give me a hug like (laughs) it's just it literally looks like something you would see in a fucking haunted house like walking around like you know, because obviously when you're walking in a haunted house, they can't touch you. So it, it's just a little silly looking uh, to me that that's one part where I kind of giggle a little bit. So, yeah, I would work. I would rework that like it doesn't have to be gory, just something a little bit more convincing and definitive other than, you know, I can imagine Tom Skerritt just hugging them as Unimorph and them skipping down the fucking road in the ship. Like, I don't know. It's just a little silly looking.
0: Alright, we're going to move on then to... Finger licking good.
2: It's finger licking good.
0: Alright, everything from the moment they receive the distress call... Up until the discovery of the space jockey... A.K.A. Pilot. A.K.A. Kane. Gets it in the face. A.K.A. All Hell Breaks Loose. That moment... I gotta say, and that's all part of like... The, the, the slow burn... Um... I don't know it's it's it stands out to me it was one of my favorite scenes watching it again so yeah that's all that's my final answer is 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 that sequence so not really much more else to elaborate on um as far as that goes so uh, how about you
2: Yeah this is a tough movie cuz there's a lot of scenes you could definitely pick and I don't think anybody would uh y- you know say you're wrong so for me it it's Harry Dean Stanton's death uh, I just love the whole setting and the way he goes and then the discovery of you know the big mandible coming out of uh, the Xenomorph's mouth. And then also the whole Tom Skerritt uh, Dallas scene uh, when he's in the ducks because I'm a little claustrophobic to begin with. Mm. So he's crawling around in those ducks. It just looks so real, so awesome. And just like I said, the simple effect of just having that beep, just the beep, 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 just like your heart rate going up. The aliens getting closer, you know, it isn't going to end well, but it's just such a good tense scene. I I think those scenes back to back are both very good. Uh, So to me, that's definitely the highlight of the movie. A close second would be the end, the very ending uh, when Ripley blows the alien out of the airlock. I really do love that scene as well. But uh, yeah, to me, uh, just the Harry Dean Stan and the Tom Skerritt scenes are just both so awesome. I just love both those so much.
0: All right, let's move on now. MVP?
2: Sure. <laughs> there we go. All right, now, you might think I'm a little biased, but I take my job as a presenter very seriously. I will show no favoritism. I am here to honor excellence. And the most valuable player is
0: so for me this is really easy Sigourney Weaver I mean it's Ripley this is it's her movie especially after that third act I know Tom Skerritt got top billing over her for this one only um, cause yeah I forgot to mention during the breakdown this is the only film of the, of the series where she doesn't get top billing Tom Skerritt receives that over her but yeah man she definitely makes an impact when it comes down to just her her versus the monster um is just it's it's some really effective stuff goes down it's like some of the most iconic work it's it's just a, a great ride it's it's an adrenaline rush unlike any other so and it's all because of squinty weaver i mean she's so good at this that she comes back for multiple movies and you know, she never really misses a beat. It's like every time she comes back to reprise this role she it's like she never left. You know, it's one thing I can say about her in this role. She was born to play it.
2: Yeah, I went a different way. I went Jonesy the Cat um, I love the way the cat reacts to the dog. No, I-, I mean, obviously, it's Sigourney <laughs> say, Weaver.
0: Fuck that cat.
2: I mean, how could it not be? It's her franchise, for God's sakes. Right, right, right. Yeah, y- you know, I, I always laugh uh, at that quote Jennifer Lawrence had of uh, she was the first real female action star. You know, like, just discounting anybody else that came before, such as the one we're talking about right now, Sigourney Weaver. Uh, To me, she's one of the most badass stars uh, ever put the film. I love the Ripley character. I love how she evolves through the movies. And I think what makes uh, her character so great in this is, yes, she's very smart and she can toughen up when she needs to. But she's also vulnerable in this movie, whereas, you know, by Alien Resurrection, she's a fucking superhero clone. But uh, in this one, you know, like she is a very vulnerable person and she's not perfect. But yeah, just so great. Uh, just an all time role. I can't imagine uh, anybody else's Ripley. So, yeah, obviously it has to be Sigourney Weaver. But I will give an honorable mention to Harry Dean Stanton and Yafakoto. I fucking love them. They're like, they're definitely the highlight of the rest of the crew for me. I love their banter. And they're bickering, like it adds a little bit of levity to this dark horror movie. And you know, Harry Dean Stan, just one of my favorite character actors uh, from the eighties. Uh, and obviously Yafikoto yeah, is fucking awesome too, but uh just love them too. Like they're they're a second in there. They're a distant second, but they're definitely a second for MVP. Just I love both of those guys in this film.
1: Alright.
0: One more. Tommy did the film or final effect. Ratings, uh...
2: Ow. On a scale of one... To,
1: on a scale... Ah. On a scale... No. On a scale of one to ten... Uh. On a scale of one to ten... Give me the damn veggies. What do you think?
0: Alright, so I'm giving Alien four and a half stars. It's, it's missing just that little something that's preventing it from being a perfect five-star film. In a sense, it's the perfect horror movie in the vein of Ten Little Indians or any other slasher film from the early decade or late decade however you look at this but sigourney weaver is our choice actress who's stepping in to play the film's lead protagonist ripley and she's perfect she really is that much is perfect not to mention the entire cast of this movie it's such an incredible one featuring people like john hurt and the legendary tom scared i mean even john hurt's legendary in his own right they're all working their asses off for this feature then there's the xenomorph creature itself i just love 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 the way it appears in this version as this killer threat that'll stop at anything to stop these poor bastards from making it out alive it's like we talked about earlier in this episode it's just a flawless design and it only gets crazier and i just love how it just evolves throughout the series um you know, it's it's always just been a truly impressive design. And, you know, the one in this film is no exception. And I think the slow burn process is totally effective. And I like how there's no real threat introduced until right after the one hour mark. And the pacing, you know, it's, it's, it's a master demonstration of how effectively building up tension in a movie should be. There's nothing more rewarding than that actual first glimpse of the creature after Ridley Scott's finished hiding it from the audience for x amount of time and then hr giger his influence it's another reason this film stands out from all the other alien films it's it's unique appearance it remains iconic decades later so it's just so close to being perfect but i still can't say nothing but amazing things about this film so yeah four and a half stars for me uh how about you
2: yeah, for me, it's a four and a half out of five as well. You know, I thought about giving it a five. I think it's pretty much a perfect movie. Uh, you know, I, like I said before, I think just uh, one minor thing holding it back. is just, uh, it, yeah, just I wish you see a little bit more of the alien. I know that's not the point. Uh, and I understand your imagination is better than anything they can show you. But just a little bit more, you know, you don't get a lot with the alien in this film as far as what it's doing, so just a slight tinge a bit more, and just, you know, just a little bit more with Ripley and The Quarantine, and this would have been a five-star, but yeah, that's nitpicking, I mean, it's a masterpiece, it's a classic, hugely influential, I mean, definitely one of the most influential sci-fi movies up there with, like, 2001 A Space Odyssey, I mean, it's just, as far as just the way alien designs have went, and spaceship designs, and they just nailed everything right. I mean, it's just fantastic from the product, product, yeah, production design to the special effects that still hold up today to the acting. I mean, this movie excels on every facet, essentially. I mean, there's really uh, no wrong thing. I think the pacing is great. You know, you could argue the first half is slow. I think it's world-building and awesome, and I really think it would take away if it just jumped right into the alien and the killing. You know, I think it, that just... Bears it into just more standard slasher. You know, I, I do think it's funny when I hear some of the uh, critics talk about that. Like, oh, there's not much here. I think there's plenty here as far as is the world it builds and just is the subtext that we talked about earlier. So I think there's plenty to keep me busy and just like a great movie. It appeals to the masses, but it also just has a little bit more you can read into. Uh, to me, it's endlessly rewatchable, classic, all-timer, masterpiece. So yeah, four and a half out of five for me.
0: Space. An infinite, never-ending expanse that bears no limits. The idea of being lost in total darkness is something I'm sure most of us fear, even though it's not something commonly thought of. Corporate greed. The idea of a company disowning the very same trust it developed with its own employees. It's peak insanity. If you can't put your own trust into something that should be by your side through every waking moment, then who can you trust exactly? Survival. The art of living. Doing whatever it takes to stake your claim. But for what, in the end? You just gotta tackle the space while overcoming the greed, and if you do that, you have a chance of survival. This has been another Film Effect Final Thought. Alright listeners, unfortunately it's now time for us to wrap up this here episode on the 1979 classic film Alien, a film that undoubtedly gets that full film effects of approval, one down, many more follow, but before we go, I've got to remind everyone to check out our never-ending collection of previous episodes over at the Archive, which can be accessed on all major podcast platforms or directly from our website, thefilmeffectpodcast.com. If this has been your first time listening to us, then we genuinely want to say thank you, and we hope you enjoyed everything that we had to offer on this episode. Make sure you're following us on the socials at Film Effect Pod on Twitter, The Film Effect Podcast everywhere else. We really appreciate everyone's sincere honesty. So if you had the time, please leave us a review or rating on this episode on Spotify, Apple, Facebook. Leave us an email or leave it directly at our website, which is once again thefilmeffectpodcast.com. Kick off your weekends with an all-new Fewer Cast episode dropping every Friday and, of course, the Film Effect podcast each and every week for your listening enjoyment. Next week, we're ditching the stunt car crashes of Hollywood in an effort to pull off the most elaborate heist as the most efficient getaway driver when we give 2011's drive from Nicholas Winding renz the full Film Effect treatment. We've been talking about doing Drive for the better part of two years now. It's always been in the cards. I'm excited that we're finally taking the time to do this particular episode. Coy, where are you at on Drive with Ryan Gosling and Ron Perlman?
2: Uh, it was one where I wasn't excited when I saw the previews. I'll be honest, when uh, it first came out, it was getting rave reviews, and I was like, really? This this movie with Ryan Gosling, the guy from Remember the Titans and fucking Disney? Like, I just wasn't super excited and I watched and it just blew me away I was was just like what is this I I love it also Brian Cranston thrown in there Albert Brooks is the villain I love Albert Brooks Like, just a great movie great soundtrack Uh, and I'm excited to talk about it
0: alright well many thanks to all for spending your time with us for an all new episode and until next week I'm Ed and I'm Corey this has been an all new edition of the Film Effect Podcast take care everyone
2: bye bye alright gang
0: We're going to see you all again
1: next time when those theater lights go dim, the opening credits begin to roll.
0: This concludes our broadcast day.